Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, well, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. I think I speak for every fan in the NFL of all 32 NFL teams when I say, fuck the refs. Yes. Yes, indeed. Preach, Preach to the choir here. And we also have a very special guest on the line. I am super excited to finally get him on the phone and talking with us because it's one of my favorite podcasts to start off with. It's one of my favorite creators we've met in this entire journey of podcasting. And when we finally had the opportunity to line up and talk some sports, I knew this was right up his alley. So, ladies and gentlemen of the ODPH Society, please give a warm welcome to the one and only Matt Roth from Hops Geeks News. Matt, what is going on, fam? I feel like I just, you know, some John Cena trumpets should be going off right now, man. I, I'm good, guys. Yeah, right? It's my WrestleMania moment right here. I, I feel good, man. This is, like I said, you guys, we've been along this journey pretty much ever since the, the inception of our podcast. So to finally link up after a couple of years of knowing each other and uh what better way to do it than talk sports because this is comic books all that kind of stuff that we talk about on our show we're a show that talks about comic books movies tv shows we have a beer of the week and uh we recently just kind of separated ourselves and kind of are focusing more on the comics movies tv shows realm of things but sports that is that is like my mistress my love right here and so to come in studio virtually of course and chat about it man thank you thank you thank you so much Oh, man, thank you for coming through. Like I said, we've been planning this for a long time. I'm finally happy we got a chance to do it. Obviously, we know your fandom on Twitter, and we definitely talk sports all the time. But now to bring it to the masses, I'm super excited to get going on this. And like we say, folks, you are tuned into the ODPH Sports Edition. So for anything and everything that is the ODPH Podcast, you can simply find it at odphpodcast.com because I want to get talking sports. I want to start talking the NFL with Matt. So, Matt, you know how we do it. We break down the NFL week that was with the locks and leaps. And you are our current reigning defending leader right now I going am. into week five. So why don't you give us our your locks and leap? Man, yeah. So uh, I foolishly fool. I don't know how I'm still leading after this point in the season, but uh, I foolishly went picking the Jags as a lock over the Texans. It's, mm. It seemed it's, it was a no-brainer. The Texans have the worst running defense in the league. The Texans are a mess. Haven't won yet. The Jags are looking really good. Trevor Lawrence, you know, sure, they played in a messy, rainy game at Philadelphia the week before, but they, they were passing the eye test the first couple weeks, and they just come out and they just laid a stinker on us, man. So foolishly picked them, and then uh, I I, th- I thought I had something with the Bengals. I took the Bengals as a leap over the Ravens, and, of course, that one didn't pan out for me either. But uh, let's start with that uh, Jacksonville Texans game because I feel like – Every year, man, I am so high on this Jags team. Every year, I go in like, you know what? This is the year they're going to put together. You look at their paper, the roster, the talent, it's all there. But then something just – something isn't quite there. And 
it kind of showed again this week. They only put up six points against a really bad Texans team. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, the Houston Texans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 13-6. to uh, David Mills, uh, 16-24, of 140 yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. Trevor Lawrence, 25-47, of 47, 286 yards passing, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, of note on the rushing side, Houston, uh, Damian Pierce, 26 carries, 99 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Travis Etain Jr. on Jacksonville, 10 carries, 71 yards, no touchdowns. And then for receiving, Nico Collins was your leading receiver for Houston. Houston, four catches, 65 yards, no touchdowns. And then for Jacksonville, Marvin Jones Jr., seven catches, 104 yards, no touchdowns. And we also have to make note, Christian Kirk, one reception, 11 yards. Oy. Yes. Yeah. We, we follow him on this show uh, just because of that massive contract he got. This game, you know, Matt, I'm right there with you. Like, every year you think that Jacksonville is ready to turn the corner. Like, they somehow find the way to snatch – the jaw, you know, snatch failure from the jaws of victory. Like, it's just, it's so puzzling that this team, with the talent they have, because they, I mean, Trevor Lawrence has the potential to be a great quarterback. Travis Etienne is coming back from a bad foot injury. You figure, okay, maybe they'll start getting the ball going. Obviously, Doug Peterson is the new head coach, so they'll be doing some more, you know, st- stability with football than Urban Meyer did. And yet here we are, and this is a truly bad loss to a Texans team that, I mean, quite frankly, I think a lot of college teams could beat right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I'm looking. At, I'm looking at Jacksonville's record. Uh, they lost to Washington in Week One. Beat the Indianapolis Colts 24 to nothing in Week Two. Beat the Chargers 36 to 10 in Week Three. Lost to the Philadelphia Eagles Week Four. Uh, and then, as we just mentioned, lost to Houston. And I mean, it's it's surprising just because I mean, I'm looking at Trevor Lawrence's stats. And they're not bad. They're they're good. You know, uh, 1,232 yards passing, good for 16th in the league. Eight touchdowns, which is tied for ninth in the league. Four interceptions, which is tied for 17th in the league. And he's got a QBR of 52.6. So those are pretty decent numbers. Decent numbers. I'm going to go right ahead, Matt. No, I was just saying, yeah. I mean, when you watch him, it's, it's, there, it's there. But I think what he's struggling with right now, though, is he's still making these mental errors. Like you'll see in this game, he threw two interceptions. He's still making these just bad reads that come once in a, like for every good read he makes, he probably makes a couple bad reads and he gets away with a lot more often. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, he's still kind of raw, but the talent, again, like you were saying, the talent's there. He's middle of the road right now. He's not a bad starter. He's, he's improving. And I think had he had Doug Peterson last year, rather than starting with Urban Meyer, maybe he'd be a little bit more further along in his development, but it's, it's it's got to come together. They've been weird, and let alone their their rushing attack. I mean, the fact that they only had 20, 25 carries on the ground total, maybe, or but their running backs, you know, Etienne and Robinson combined for twenty carries total against a terrible run defense. That certainly didn't help him out at all. No, it definitely didn't. I mean, that's something that you figure they would find a way to get going, because especially like you touched upon, Houston's defense is awful. Mm-hmm. Like. It is by far and away, I think, the worst in the league, in my opinion. And the fact that you have talented runners that can't get the ball moving, it's it's a real slippery slope to walk because you figure that Jacksonville is poised that maybe in the AFC South, which, let's face it, has been awful this season in comparison to past years, they could possibly sneak in and maybe get that division title because Indianapolis is, well, Indianapolis and they are not who we thought they were. 
And then Tennessee lives and dies on Tannehill right now, and that's not a good place to be at this stage of the game. This I know it's the vision game, but you th- you think like okay maybe they're just on the cusp of making that turn, and then you have a bad loss. And I understand it's division; the vision gets up for division. But at the same time, I mean, you you can't say anything more than this, and then this is just a terrible loss. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, just because you look at it, Houston's in last place, you know, with a record of one win, three losses, and a tie. Yeah. Like Which came against the Colts, nonetheless, that terrible team. Yes, the most boring team in football, and there's no question about it. Like they're a good team. But they are just as fundamental as you get. I mean, you can see the old grainy footage from NFL films when they play. Like, it would fit right in. Like, that is the Indianapolis Colts to the letter. The facts that, I mean, they tied Houston. Yeah. That's atrocious. Yeah. And then the fact that, I mean, Houston is technically still in this division hunt is wild to me to, to break down. Because yeah. they only have, Damian Pierce is like the only sh- saving grace on that squad. And that's still not a huge piece to build around because he can only do so much. But Right. I mean, I know they got Brandon Cooks as a receiver, but he is not the Brandon Cooks of old. Facts. No, at all. No. So it's like you factor all this in. And for Jacksonville, I mean, I'm not exactly sure where you go from here because your road is not going to get any easier. And especially for Trevor Lawrence's confidence, this is a game they should have won outright. Like there should have been no question about this when they started facing Houston. Because let's, I mean, like we say, we can keep reiterating, Houston is not good. <laughs> I, they might be the worst team in football, and yet you take a big L like this, mm-hmm. just unacceptable. Yeah, and look, looking at their schedule going forward, they've got the Indianapolis Colts on the road uh, this coming week. After that, they've got the Giants, Broncos, although we should note the Broncos game is supposed to be a home game. It's not. It's in Wembley Stadium. Oh, jeez. And, yeah, and then they've got the Raiders and Chiefs before they've got a bye week in Week 11. Well, to be fair, out of all of those teams, the Giants and the Chiefs are probably the biggest threat right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't think – obviously the Chiefs were a given, but coming to the season, we probably would have pegged the Giants-Jags game to be a snooze fest. And then look how that turned out. So their schedule is not a cakewalk whatsoever. And if they want to win this division, it's going to come to Ken Peterson, work that Peterson magic, and get the most out of Trevor Lawrence while also developing that team because the talent is there. It's just a matter of putting it together at this point. Absolutely agree. I think that he needs to pull some magic out and quick. I mean, I'm not saying the season is going to be a wash by any means. Right. But I think it's a situation that you do have some winnable games coming up. You need to win those games. Like, you can't have another hiccup here. Because if you do, you can basically write the season off. Because you're not going to be hanging with that upper echelon teams in the rest of the AFC if you can't beat the Houstons of the world. Like, I'm sorry, like that's just not going to happen. So with that said, we're going to go to your leap now. And so why don't you give a little breakdown about your leap? So coming into this, I I chose Cincinnati over Baltimore. I mean, this is two AFC North opponents. You knew you were going to get an absolute slugfest going into this game. The the Ravens have really looked off. You know, they're a confusing team. Both these teams actually really have not played to the potential. The Bengals are... They both were coming in two and two. Bengals coming off just a very weird start to the season. Ravens coming off against a very bad loss against the Dolphins. And so I was like, you know, okay, I think Joe Burrow and crew is going to start to get together. Something about that Ravens defense wasn't screaming to me. But what we got was Joe Burrow going 24 for 35, throwing 217 with one touchdown, one interception. Joe Mixon led the backfield with 14 carries, 78 yards, no touchdowns. 
Joe Burrow got a rushing touchdown, of course, but uh, Hayden Hurst actually was the leading receiver for this team. And he had six receptions, 53 yards, a touchdown. Jamar Chase only put seven for 50, which is very unusual Yikes. for him. And then 12 targets. The Ravens yeah, it was very, very unusual. And he's had a very weird, quiet year as it is. I don't know if it's a mix. I'm sure we'll get to this. Like, is it a mix of the Bengals' offensive line? Is it a mix of teams are figuring out Jamar Chase? Or, But on the other side of the ball, we had Lamar Jackson go 19 for 32, 174 yards, one TD, one touchdown. So they kind of canceled each other out there. Um, but Lamar led the backfield for them, 12 for 58. J.K. Dobbins was next, 8 for 44. And I know he's coming off his injury. So it was kind of surprising that they couldn't really get the ground game going. And then this game was just tight end city. Because Mark Andrews had eight for 89, one touchdown. He was their leading receiver. Next up was Devin Duvernay, five receptions, 54 yards. So both these teams played basically kind of the same game. And it just came down to the Justin Tucker, who is a quote-unquote system kicker. To, uh, <laughs> this game away. Yeah, this game definitely threw me for a little loop. I think Cincinnati is still nursing a Super Bowl hangover, which is not good at this stage of the game. Yeah. No. And then you have Baltimore on the flip side, which Lamar Jackson is definitely trying to go Aaron Judge here and get a max contract. If not with Baltimore, if somewhere else, he's playing like an MVP. He is showing that potential, and like literally, he's putting this entire team on his back. The fact that he's leading rusher, that's pause for concern, I guess. But that's something that we know with him. Yeah. So it's kind of right. like a catch twenty two. But I think in this kind of situation, they're lucky they got away with this one. But granted, when you have Justin Tucker on the field, I feel pretty confident if you have to kick anywhere in that stadium. And then for balancing out with against Cincinnati, I mean, this is a great win against a division rival. Cincinnati, we think, was starting to turn it around. And, I mean, this is the Ravens. So, Pat, I mean, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but – I don't think it's a bad loss, but I think it's a tough loss. Uh, first of all, fuck Justin Tucker. Uh, wow. Well, well, no, because if he <laughs> coming would, in hot, if he hadn't nailed that game-winning kick, I would have gone for four, four in lockets and leaps this week. So uh. fuck you, Justin Tucker. I got my other three right. This is the one I didn't get right. Uh, no, I think this is just a case of I think it's partially a Bengals hangover, and I think it's also defenses are figuring them out. It's it's like in any baseball game, you know, you got this guy who comes up hitting the you know ball out of the park all over the field, and then the footage starts to roll, and then they start to figure it out, and then they got time to game plan and scheme for you. So the next time you play them, they're not going to pull the same thing. I th- And this is where the great ones adjust and adapt and, and beat those guys, and the, and the lesser ones don't. You know, I think it's a case of Jamar Chase had a great first year. You know, and, and the stats, you know, hold up to that. But I think it's a case of, you know, the defensive gurus of the NFL have had time. They figured him out. And he's just got to come up with ways to beat him. And so does, you know, the offensive coordinator there in Cincinnati. On the flip side, I think you got to give a little a little credit to Baltimore just because, I mean, looking at their stats, yeah, Lamar had nothing flashy, you know, passing, you know, at least stat-wise, one TD, one interception. But I, the one key with, with the passing, you know, he averaged 5.4 yards a pass. So every time he threw the ball, it was at least second and five, if not second and four. You know, and then on the flip side, you look at the rushing, you know, nobody had a rushing touchdown, you know, and they only had 155 yards rushing. But then again, you know, once you add up all the averages, 5.5 yards per rush. So again, pick one of the one, two, three, four, five guys who got at least one carry in that game, you know, from Lamar, who had 12, as we mentioned, all the way down to Mike Davis, who had one, you know, that, you know, they still averaged you know, 5.5 yards of carry. So again, you run, you pass the ball, second and five, second and four. You run the ball, 
second and five, second and four, or whatever. So that's that's just a really efficient offense. It's scary to think about that, but Matt, when you're taking a look at these teams, I mean, how efficient do you think this team is going? So it it's it's hard to really say because they show flashes, right? I mean, if we're talking about the Bengals, efficient, they they show one good drive, but they just something they're not hitting that gear like last year. T, how much of it maybe also T Higgins being out probably true plays a big yeah. factor, but teams have kind of figured out Jamar chase at the moment. And I, I think the offensive line have, it was supposed to take that turn and they didn't this year. Right. We were at all off season. Oh, you know, Joe Burrow's not going to get touched. They, they beef up the offensive mm-hmm. line. And so that is the glaring hole in this team right now. They're, they're not going to be able to hit peak efficiency while Joe Burrow has, less than two seconds from snapping the ball to getting hit right away so not to mention i was i was actually watching something that was pretty interesting there was some video and they're breaking down how joe mixon it's all in his stance when he's on the field if he's crouched down it's a pass play but if he kind of stands up it's going to be a a run play or something like that and so i wonder how much of this also is just you know taylor's play calling is it too predictable now have they gotten a little predictable where teams can be like see something that just anybody off the street can be like yeah watch joe mixon for instance this they're definitely going to run the ball in this play so i wonder how much of that play calling comes in with it there's just a staleness to it i think there is some very truth to that i think i think there's validity in that statement because i i I completely agree with you i think that they're tipping their hands too much because i think what they do and this is something you see with a lot of young teams when they get playoff success they think they can just turn it on with a switch and they'll so they can just keep that magic going from season to season and then this is when you see those hangovers start to speak because they're definitely not looking like the offensive juggernaut that they were last year mm-hmm. and i right. and i don't think it's anything on joe burrow per se but i think this is where they have to take that next step because the one thing that we always say about this the nfl it's a copycat league And they watch everybody, and they adapt to everybody. So the Cinderella story from last year is not exactly the sleeping beauty of this year. Yeah, I pulled up Joe Burrow's stats. So for the year, he's got 1,316 yards passing. That's good for 11th in the NFL. Nine touchdown passes, which is tied for 7th in the NFL. Five interceptions, which is tied for 25th in the NFL. And a QBR of 46.4, which is tied for 19th in the NFL. The one that jumped out to me, though, is the man has been sacked 18 times times yo which looked it up uh, according to the stats courtesy of nfl.com only matt ryan with 21 matthew stafford with 21 and carson wentz with 20 are ahead of him uh he's got justin fields tied with him at 18 that's a horrific stat that's yeah wow yeah well, you're not gonna be winning any uh ball games if you're flat on your back there's you know staring up at the sky there yeah. Well, no, you're not going to, I mean, come to the end of the season, you're going to be so beat up. You're definitely not going to be able to win those, you know, when they count down the stretch if you're just getting banged up right now already. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's something that they definitely need to fix. And, I mean, I don't know how you do that if, you, if your line is just not playing. I don't, like, it's just so weird to see such a disconnect because they usually figure a Super Bowl hangover, yeah, we, we expect that to happen. Right. But the fact that they haven't made those adjustments yet, and maybe is you know, the band-aid of winning is covering up a lot of holes previously here because mm-hmm. they look like they finally get back on track. But it's a situation that I think moving forward, they definitely got to focus in on and go, okay, who's the line coach? Okay, we need to switch up something. We need to do something different. Yeah, You know, it's almost like a pause for concern, but it's, I mean, it's nothing to hit the DEFCON 5 per se, but it's just something that with this team and how much talent is there, 
they have to get out of their old ways and get in new ways. And I know that sounds weird being a young team, but that's something that is a priority at this stage. Yeah, and then I also pulled up Jamar Chase's stats. I think the T. Higgins thing might be adding to it, but also on defenses have got him figured just because for the year to this point, 32 catches, 343 yards, receiving two touchdowns. Yeah. Which are uh, subpar for his standards. Absolutely. Well, I think it's, you know, they flew under the radar last year. I mean, like I said, you can only be Cinderella for so long. True. And I think the, the Bengals really crept up on a lot of people. I mean, they had the talent. It's just one of those things with the NFL every year. There's always that one breakout team. And I think for Cincinnati, they thought, okay, well, we can keep doing what we're doing. I mean, that's just the kind of takeaway I have from this. Sure. But when you have a division rival like Baltimore who has a tradition of winning, they're not going to get fooled by anything, especially with that defense. I mean, granted, it's not the Ray Lewis-led defense of old. Mm-hmm. But it's still a very solid defense when it shows up, and you know it's going to show up for a division game. I mean, that's the easiest takeaway. That's yeah. the easiest takeaway over there. So, Pat, that being said, let's take a look at the schedules. Yeah, so looking at the Cincinnati Bengals, they have got uh, the New Orleans Saints coming up this Sunday. Then they've got the Atlanta Falcons, Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. And then they've got the Carolina Panthers uh, going this uh, week nine. That is at 1 o'clock on Fox. And then switching over to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, just give me one second here. Pulling up the schedule. Da-da-da-da. There we go. Uh, they've got the New York Giants coming up this coming Sunday. That is in New York. Then they've got the Cleveland Browns uh, the following week. They've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, in week eight. That is on Thursday night. Uh, and then on week nine, they're playing the New Orleans Saints on Monday night football. And then they've also got a bye week in week 10. So some interesting stories coming out of this one. But for Cincinnati, they got to get the ball moving and moving in the right direction. And uh, Joe Burrow needs to stand upright and not be on his back. And for Baltimore, it's a solid win, but when you have the automatic kicker known as Justin Tucker, things are very, very easy when you need a clutch kick. Mm -hmm. Pad, that being said, let's go to your locks and leaps. Yeah, so for my lock, I chose the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the Atlanta Falcons because, Ken, who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Fucking awful. Uh, The the Atlanta Falcons, uh, to this point, are... uh, Winless against Tom Brady led teams. I forget what the stat is. It's like eight and zero, ten and zero. Eleven and zero now. Yeah. So Tom Brady's eleven zero. Tom Brady is eleven and zero, and in his entire career, he has never lost three games in a row. So I saw that stat and went, "Give me the Bucks," uh, and I paid me well because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won by the final score of twenty-one to fifteen. Tom Brady went thirty-five of fifty-two for three hundred and fifty-one yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Marcus Mariota, 14-25 for 147 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Mariota was also the leading rusher for Atlanta, seven carries, 61 yards, no touchdowns. Leonard Fournette led on the Tampa Bay side, 14 carries, 56 yards, one touchdown. Uh, And then you had Leonard Fournette also leading receiving uh, (laughs) with 10 catches, 83 yards, one touchdown. And then uh, Olidemi Zacchaeus was the leading receiver for Atlanta with two catches, 39 yards, one touchdown. Matt, your thoughts? Oof, man, what is this Falcons team? That is that is all I have to say. And now, of course, we let's get the elephant out of the room, right? Mm-hmm. The Falcons are mounting a comeback. They sack Tom Brady. The drive gets extended due to a very, very questionable call, which that that's just been the highlight. Like roughing the passer has been just ungodly awful the past few weeks ever since the Tua injury, but. The, the fact of the matter is this. Marcus Mariota is not a guy who's going to win you football games when you need to go out, sling the football, and come from behind. Absolutely. He's, not that. He, he's a game manager. He's somebody that if you put them on, say, the 49ers or somebody with a very good defense, he's going to manage you football games. Your defense keeps it close. He's going to score you a couple touchdowns. Boom, maybe squeak some wins out. 
the Falcons aren't that team. They are not a good team. They they're running back, their star running back, you know, he's hurt. They don't have any receivers outside of London. Kyle Pitts has been a ghost and of course he was out this week. So they just don't they don't have an identity right now, is kind of how I feel. And on the flip side, the the Bucks, I'm not sold on this Buccaneers team going forward as a serious Super Bowl contender. I, it's sacrilegious to count a Tom Brady team out until they officially get eliminated, of course. But Leonard Fournette's really been the go-to guy for this team. I mean, 10 receptions, 83 yards. I, I don't know what's going on this year, but this is not a Tom Brady Buccaneers offense that we've seen in the past few seasons. Godwin's been nagging some injuries. I get it. Mike Evans, you know, he got suspended, but there's nothing really going on with Evans. So I'm not really sure what's going on with that team. Yes, Brady threw for 350 yards, but he the, the eye test just isn't there for me. No, I agree with you about that. I think that this team is not the Tom Brady of old. I think Tom Brady is just old. And I think now Father Time is just catching up with him. And we've been saying it for a while. Like It looks like he kept dodging that bullet for so long. But you can definitely tell in this game, too, he didn't exactly have so much zip on the ball like he usually does. And I think, and I think that that kind of plays into a factor where he's now having to rely on a strong running game, and Leonard Fournette is still healthy. Now, I mean, that's the key thing with him, too, because he's such a, a hard-impact runner. Mm-hmm. He's usually injured mm-hmm. quite some time. Well, and that's the thing is Brady, for a lot of years, even in, in his New England days, always had it, you know, there was always, the early on it was a running back, you know, Corey Dillon was there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then in later years, they had, you had the receiving back with uh, James White, you know, shout-out to James, James White, shout-out to him. You know, Sonny Michelle, as you mentioned, but like they were never the leading receivers because one of the things Brady always had was like a good tight end. You know, he had Rob Gronkowski, who obviously is retired. Yeah. And then he had a Julian Edelman type, you know, and, and it appeared that they tried to get a Julian Edelman type there in, in uh, Cole, Cole Beasley. Beasley, but he retired after <laughs> all of a week. You know, shout out that man showed up, got his paycheck and went, nope, fuck this. I'm out. You know, so I think that's part of the issue is that you is like, you know, it was mentioned Evans and got Evans was suspended for the week. So maybe he's got a nagging injury or something that, you know, not even like a something that like would be enough to list him on the injury report. But just, hey, you know what? My my hamstrings feel a little tight. You know, I, I can't go at a full hundred percent. Godwin's coming back from his injury last year. So I think, you know, so you don't have the tight end, you know, because that's the stat. I keep bringing it up, but I think it's key last year in third down defense, you know, converting uh third downs into first downs, Tampa Bay was number one in the league. Mm-hmm. And that was because of Rob Gronkowski. Now that Rob Gronkowski isn't there, and this isn't a slight to their tight ends who they have in Tampa Bay now, but listen, none of them can hold a candle to Rob Gronkowski's oh, talent. Facts. talent. You're telling me Kyle Rudolph, who got zero receptions, zero yards, can't hold a candle to Rob Gronkowski? Shout out triple zero. <laughs> you know, it's all about the decoy. Yeah. But like now without Gronkowski, they're in like the, I forget the exact number, but they're in the bottom third. You know, and, and Godwin and Evans are both downfield guys. They're not like dink and dunk and run through the middle of the linebacking defense. Yeah, they're not slant runners. They're not slant runners. So the the big things that Brady relied on in some of the successful years in New England and even in the in some of the early years with Tampa Bay aren't there. And and the only years he really had like was targeted in the downfield threat was the early years with Randy Moss. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's something he hasn't had to do in over ten years. And and I think it's like you said, and like we've said, you know, father time age, father time is starting to show that he can't throw the ball as deep. He gets it down there, sure, but it's not as crisp as it used to be. And some of the key pieces that lead him to success aren't there. Yeah, I think it's just a situation where 
he's now getting exposed for that. And like I said, being injured, it, it they do happen for that team. But he's been lucky that he still had that healthy running game. I mean, the wide receiver core has been a little shaky too, but he's getting by just by the skin of his teeth. Well, that's the thing. Brady threw for 351. He can do that in his fucking sleep. Right. So that's oh, nothing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's nothing super new. But then when you think about with Atlanta and just that egregious roughing the passer call, that just took any air out of their sails. And I think that moving forward, Matt, I don't know about you, I don't think there's any hope for this team. No, at all. Well, and I know the thing, every, like you mentioned, the thing everyone's talking about is the roughing the passer call, and, and it needs to be looked at. And I know the NFL has said it, it will be looked at, but the thing we have to, and this isn't me like asking for help, just the thing people got to remember is with the NFL, whenever something of this level where like everyone, you know, with the Tua injury, mm-hmm. where everyone's crying foul and every, and deservedly so. I'm not trying to say the NFL did anything right with that situation. I don't care what they said. They fucked that thing up. Facts. You know, whenever you see something of that level happen, you know, the NFL takes it, goes, okay, and swings to from one extreme to the other before they finally come back in the middle and go, okay, this is where things should be. And, and that's currently where we are. We went from one extreme where, holy shit, how does this happen to, okay, now we're policing everything and every possible hit on the quarterback is going to be roughing the passer to they're finally going to come back in the middle and, and some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, it's a tough slope to walk there. But, I mean, that's just something the NFL has been known to do. But I think in this kind of situation – you hate saying the refs are responsible, but I mean, quite frankly, that was a game changer moment for him. And now Atlanta, I mean, we, we said that they were not going to have any high hopes this season, but I think that that one definitely is a bad loss for them that they had the chance to, to finally, you know, defeat Tom Brady. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, we're going to take it back to the Super Bowl 28 to three run. And uh, here we go. So, I mean, that being said, it looks like it's going to be a little tougher schedule going on for Tampa Bay, though. Yeah, so Tampa Bay this upcoming week is traveling up to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. Lord, I haven't even looked at what that line is, but it's going to be astro-fucking-nomical. After that, they are on the road playing the Carolina Panthers. Then they play the Baltimore Ravens at home, the L.A. Rams at home, and then the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, That's technically a home game, but that looks like it is a neutral location. Let me pull that up. That's in Munich, I believe. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you're right. That's in Munich. That one is in Munich. Yes. So that's technically a home game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it'll be in Germany. Uh, and then they've got a bye week in week 11. And on the flip side for Atlanta, because, hey, I want to be fair and give them both the time. Uh, they've got San Francisco, Cincinnati, Carolina, the Chargers, Carolina again, then the Bears, uh, Washington, and then Pittsburgh before their bye week in week 14. Currently, so, oh, I'm sorry, Matt, go. I was just going to say the line right now is uh, they have the Buccaneers by eight. Yeah, but same. Right now. I was saying the same. I feel like that should be higher. Uh, I'm sure. Well, yes, probably. It, <laughs> yes, yeah. it really should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's fear, anybody's fearing uh, Pickett there from Pittsburgh after his uh, fantastic debut against those Buffalo Bills. But we don't need to talk about that right now. Uh, for over 300 yards, I'll give him that. Yeah, I, I will say. I mean, he he definitely hung in there for that game. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk we'll talk about that when the Bills come up. But I think for Tampa Bay, though, they definitely did what they needed to. I mean, it's an ugly win. It's nothing to write home about mm-hmm. by any means because when you struggle against Atlanta, I don't know if that's something you want to be really bragging about. And I know the injuries uh, or injuries that were happening there, yeah. they still snuck by. But with Leonard Fournette, as long as he's healthy, you're okay. Yeah. So that being said, 
your leap pad? Yeah, so one of the leaps I took was the uh, Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. So since we talked that one, I will talk my other one, which was the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Los Angeles Rams, which, oh. which the Cowboys did by the final score of 22-10. to 10. Uh, Cooper Rush, 10 of 16, 102 yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. Matthew Stafford, 28 of 42 for 308 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Cam Akers was your leading rusher for the Rams, 13 carries, 33 yards, no touchdowns. Tony Pollard was your leading rusher for Dallas, 8 carries, 86 yards, 1 touchdown. CeeDee Lamb, the leading receiver for Dallas, 5 catches, 53 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, And then Cooper Rush, or Cooper Cup, excuse me, uh, was the leading receiver for the Rams with 7 catches, 125 yards, 1 touchdown. Uh, And just want to note, because I did not know this stat when I picked the game, this was the fifth different offensive line that the L.A. Rams have put out in five games. Matt, how about those Cowboys? Look, I got to give Mike McCarthy credit, man, because, of course, you know, we all kind of ran him out of Green Bay, but... He finally got smart. They are winning games because they have two pretty good running backs in their run first team with Dak Prescott being out, as they should right now. And to be honest, that's wearing teams out, and they're winning football games, and that's all that matters right now is collecting wins, especially in a division where your rival's 5-0, and the other Giants, they're 4-1, and you're 4-1. and It's a very tough division. So shout out, shout out to you know Cooper Rush hanging in there. Sure, he only threw for 100 yards, but when Tony Pollard and Zeke are running for 86 and 78 respectively, and then you have a beast like Micah Parsons, just absolutely a menace on that, you know, attacking that offensive line. Like, hey, I got to give a hats off. And Trevon Diggs actually showed up for once and looked pretty good out there. Those Rams, though. Yeah. And I, they, that offensive line is putrid. Cooper Cup is really the only person that Matt Stafford will willingly target for some reason. And aside from Tyler Higby, who got seven looks this game or seven receptions, and then Ben Skronik also got six. But, gosh, they are are a mess. They have no running game, no offensive line, and really are just a one-dimensional football team right now. Do you think that Matt Stafford thinks he's playing back in Detroit? Like it's bizarro, <laughs> bizarro world. Because – oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say – I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to cut you no, off. No, no, by all means. He, he has a habit of locking in on one receiver. We saw it with Megatron, right? Mm-hmm. And last year, once he got OBJ in, you know, he kind of spread the ball around. But now he's back to just locking in on that one receiver and just spamming it, spamming it. That's kind of his fault. Like he – He's a very good quarterback, but he also gets tunnel vision, just like Rodgers had Devontae, understandably. Cooper Cup, very good receiver, but you can't always rely on that one receiver to get you out of this. Like you've got to spread the ball around. That's how you win football games come January and you know in February. Oh, absolutely. I think the problem that he's having that I'm seeing here is, one, his offensive line, I don't know where the disconnect is with them, but oh my God. like Five, five different offensive lines in five weeks. And it shows. And I think that he is literally standing behind center going like, where do I go? And I think that that's forcing him to throw the cup as much as he is because he only feels comfortable throwing to him because he's panicking. Like, I mean, he's not visibly showing like, you know, the deer in headlights, so to speak, but he's out there and he's going like, okay, I'm going to hit all the time now. Where do I go? And who's my, you know, my safety blanket? And that's cup. And even if it's a bad throw, like he's trying to get out there. But and plus two, I don't think his arm is completely healthy. I know he was having the off season issues. Mm-hmm. 
I think that there's some more going on with that than anybody's leading on. I mean, granted, I'm not a doctor. I just speculate from an armchair. But I'm just saying, like, watching him play, there's something not right going on. And I and I don't know where the disconnect is from the line to him, but I think it's wearing on him that he's just, just overcompensating the panic. And I just think well, that – oh, go. No, sorry. I, I, I am so sorry. You but do not need to apologize. You are the guest. You are allowed to jump in at any time, my friend. Look, I was going to say to the point of his arm, look at some of the balls he throws, especially deep. They kind of tend to just die off. Mm-hmm. Where he doesn't have that arm strength, so I think that's I think that's a very big thing that nobody is talking about enough is how much is that elbow bothering him? We heard it about it at the beginning of the season; it kind of disappeared. But if you look at some of the interceptions he's thrown too, that ball just kind of is a duck. It kind of almost looks like Peyton Manning at times at the end of his career, where he just throws it, and he's used to having so much more zip to it that it just kind of dies off, and of course gets picked off. So it's got to be plaguing him. We know Stafford's a tough guy. We know he's willing to play through anything, but if also to that point, if you're hurt, you got to just take, you know, what the defense gives you, like play around that play to your strengths that you still have. Well, and I, th- I think the injury is definitely playing a part of it just because you think of like other sports where, you know, especially integral parts of what you do, like baseball player, like it's the arms or the legs. So like if you hurt your wrist or you hurt your elbow, you're going to do stuff and, and it hurts to move it. You're going to do certain stuff so you don't feel that pain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's detrimental to what you do. So when that eventually when that injury does heal, you don't need to do it. But just because it's become muscle memory for you to do it, you do those things. So it, we don't know how long he had that injury or how long it was from diagnosis to surgery. You know, if it was a lengthy enough time where he developed some habits that he shouldn't have when it comes to throwing the path through football or doing certain things with his arm that could be affecting his game because we mentioned before he's like top three in terms of sacks this year with with 20 you know so that goes to the offensive line but then he's got only five touchdowns and seven interceptions you know five five touchdowns tied for 17th in the nfl seven touchdowns tied for 31st in the nfl you know, and the, and the offensive line issues aren't going to get any better because it's been reported today. Uh, I'm reading from an article on ESPN.com that their left guard, David Edwards, is on injured reserve after his second time in concussion protocol. Yikes. So we're about to possibly see our sixth offensive line in six weeks here coming this coming Sunday. Absolute shambles right now, that offensive line. But that's also going into his panic. But you know what? I'll give kudos to the Dallas defense, which, I mean, I did not think they'd be playing at this high level. Mm-hmm. But they're really carrying this team right now, more so than Ezekiel Elliott. I'm going to say, like, Pollard has definitely stepped his game up tremendously. I mean, what do you think about that, Matt? He's, I mean, Pollard's the guy right now. I mean, he's done more with less. Zeke, it's there. It's flashes. However, you can tell just like running backs, I mean, they get to a certain point and they kind of start falling off that cliff. I think Zeke is kind of getting there. He, I, I will. I firmly believe in the next couple of seasons we're going to see him either in that backup or out of the league. And I know that, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, oh, how dare we talk about that maybe to Cowboys fans, but he's he's not as explosive as he used to be. He's, you know, doing his job blocking and stuff like that. But I, I think Pollard is slowly creeping up to take that number one running back spot and deservedly so. I mean, he's done more with less. Eight, eight carries, 86 yards and a touchdown. He's He's passing the eye test. Oh, absolutely. I fully agree with you. I mean, I know it's, it sounds sacrilegious to say it, but let's face it. Elliot's not the same runner he used to be. 81 carries, uh, 305 yards with one touchdown on the year. He's averaging 3.8 yards a carry. Yeah, that's not going to cut it, especially in the high-profile Dallas media there. Jerry Jones is very quick to find your replacement. Yep, and he will do it in a heartbeat because Jerry wants to win. I mean, I will say this. 
I'm not the biggest Jerry Jones fan, but I know that he is not afraid to spend money and go get players in there that he thinks are going to do something. And for Elliott, if he thinks he's untouchable, like they will get rid of him very, very quickly because they assume what there's going on with Pollard. I'm not doubting and not saying this is going to happen, but we take a look at like week eight, week nine range. I don't doubt Pollard takes over as the lead running back at, at this stage, unless Elliott really does something to solidify. He's the true number one. I just, I don't see, I it. see it. I, yeah, like I say, I just yeah. don't see him hanging on to it. And obviously he's going to have a tough road to do that ahead, Pat. Yeah. So the, the Cowboys this upcoming Sunday are playing the Philadelphia Eagles that in Philly, that is on Sunday night football. After that, they've got the Detroit lions and then the Chicago bears. They've got a bye week in week nine. Uh, and then for the uh, L.A. Rams, they have got – there they are. Uh, they've got the Carolina Panthers uh, this upcoming Sunday by week in week seven. And then they've got the 49ers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then the Arizona Cardinals. So an interesting road going into next week. But you got to say Dallas has been a surprise for everybody. And has there been more of a disappointment than the L.A. Rams right now in that NFC West? I did not see this season going like that for them. But that being said, we're going to take a quick break. So definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Give us your thoughts about the NFL week that was. We definitely have some more NFL talk to do with Matt from Hopskeeks News when we come back. So make sure you stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC Universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast with special guest Matt from Hops Geeks News in the house. Hello. So we have more NFL to talk with you, and this one is going to hit very near and close to Matt's heart, albeit though in probably the wrong way because for my lock, I went with Aaron Rodgers overseas because I don't trust the New York Giants as far as I could throw them. And your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, is smiling somewhere in lacrosse practice right now because the unthinkable had happened overseas. Pad. Read us the uh, the news. Yeah, so the New York Giants beat the Green Bay Packers by the final score of 27-22. to 22. Danny Dimes, uh, 21 of 27 for 217 yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. Aaron Rodgers, 25 of 39, 222 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Aaron Jones, your leading rusher for Green Bay, 13 carries, 63 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Saquon Barkley, your leading rusher for the Giants, 13 carries, 70 yards, one touchdown. Darius Slayton was your leading receiver for the Giants. Six catches, 79 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, and then Randall Cobb, your leading receiver for the Green Bay Packers. Seven catches at 99 yards and no touchdowns. Matt, your thoughts. Oh, man, where to begin, where to begin. So this Green Bay Packers team has an issue. I feel like 
and it's on defense. Like I, I'm not surprisingly, I'm not worried about this offense because I think it's there. I think there there was a couple plays that were really really close. It's it's very very close. However, what is criminal is the fact that Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon getting a combined 19 carries. Like Aaron Jones only getting 13. He's averaging five yards a carry. AJ Dillon's averaging five yards a carry. You're not going to give your bowling ball a two yard carry on third or fourth down down near the goal line, which he would have gotten. You know, you had two plays to get two yards. If you just hand it to your running backs, they're going to get you to the promised land. But we're also relying on Randall Cobb and things like that. I, Romeo Dobbs, I, I've loved his resurgence, you know, his emergence, I should say. He's looking like he could be the real deal. And there was a lot of times he was open. Rodgers just didn't pull it to him for whatever reason. But the real issue with this Green Bay Packers team is Joe Barry. He has an absolutely stacked defense. And we've seen it. If he plays aggressive, well, like they did against the Bucks, like they did it a couple games against the Bears, they're going to make things happen on defense. But what he did here, Brian Dable, he said they ran the same play over and over in this game. And Joe Barry didn't do a single thing to stop it. And it's just absolutely insane because you have Jair Alexander, Razul Douglas, you know, Eric Stokes, three of the best corners in the league right now. I know there's, there's you know, they're very in the top 20, I would say. And then you have Rashawn Gary, who's just absolutely wrecking, you know, quarterbacks. Kenny Clark's getting pressure, but you have these guys playing off the line. You're not, you're, you're just letting Daniel Jones run the same play over and killing you on these slant routes with his no name receivers. So it's like, what are we doing? And if Joe Barry doesn't figure that out ASAP, that's going to be a big problem. I have no doubt that this offense is going to figure itself out. I don't have confidence that Joe Barry is going to actually start to play to the talent on his defense. And that's going to cost us football games. But credit to the Giants, man. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't don't fix it. And Jones made some really good throws. He really, really did. And Saquon, hey, he, he looked really good on 13 carries, 70 yards. Like, And Daniel Jones also ran on that bum ankle. So credit to the Giants. They're a really well-coached team this year. And uh, I got to say, you know, what Dable's doing out there is fun. Yeah, it sucks repeatedly watching the Giants, you know, beat the Packers because it's happened more often than you know we all remember but credit to them and I'm uh it's a lot of question marks right now and that, that Packers team they're gonna get it together I have a feeling but you can see them that they play one really good half of football and then they just completely disappear and it's frustrating yeah no I, I agree with everything you said you know the question mark for this Green Bay Packers team is not the offense you know the Aaron Rodgers is fine sure the running game you know might need a little figuring out but it's not you know a giant panic button in the receiving core listen Aaron Rodgers can make anyone on this podcast look like they belong in the 99 club on Madden I I, I really think it's the D de- I agree with you I think it's the defense just because you look at the last two weeks you know with the, against the New England Patriots and then against the Giants where Clearly, Daniel Jones on a bad ankle, you know, and and listen, he's not exactly the biggest threat in the world when it comes to offensive wizardry, you know. And then you look at last week where, you know, you had the injury to Brian Hoyer, uh, Bailey Zapp came in, third string quarterback, probably got next to no practice with the first team offense and took him to overtime. You know, granted the Packers won, but still you had a third string quarterback coming in and take you to overtime. Then you lose this week to the the New York Giants led by Daniel Jones, who doesn't have his, for yet again, 
doesn't have his number one wide receiver. I, you know, had the injury last year with the ACL. Then he's got the injury this year. You know, so, so their leading receiver, you know, the leading receiver this uh, this year week was Darius Slayton, who is 2019 fifth round pick out of Auburn for his career has 1920 yards receiving and 13 touchdowns. You know, so this this is you know Saquon's gr- doing great, obviously this year. You know, thir- like you mentioned, thirteen carries, seventy yards. Saquon was also the number two receiver, three catches, thirty six yards. Daniel Daniel Jones ain't doing nothing flashy with his arm, so this should have been an easy game for the Packers. I mean, Rodgers gave you everything he could, but it's just it's just that defense. If you watch the last three games, the Bucks, the Patriots, and then this game, the first half, you see an aggressive defensive scheme from Joe Barry in that defense and. They were stifling, stifling those offenses. The offenses weren't doing anything. Then for whatever reason, second half, he lays off that. He, he refuses because then the Giants scored on every drive after their first couple. And he just refuses to play. He's got Jair Alexander, one of the best corners out there, playing 12 yards off of a receiver. These guys are really good in man coverage. Why are you playing this soft zone? Jam them at the line and get in their face and make them beat you. It's really just, I agree with you. It's it's puzzling to watch because the Packers defense, I mean, it's not lights out, but it should be doing something. And the fact that I'm hearing Giants fans make the comparison of Daniel Jones is the next Josh Allen. Stop. Just stop right now. Uh, No, no, just stop. I'm stop any of this nonsense. I'm not hearing any words of this. This is a situation where you're exactly right. Dabble runs the same play over and over and over again. I could tell you drives throughout the Bills season's uh, past couple that it's been exactly the thing. We're going to run for the entire first 12 plays coming out of the second half, and then we're going to pass at, like, the worst inoperable times. Like, it's just something with him, and that's what he does. But the fact that there was no adjustments made about it, he's not going to switch up his scheme. Like he runs the same game every time. So you're not seeing anything super new. I will give him credit though. Cause I'm not the biggest fan of his coaching. I think that he's got this team playing and motivated, which I will say kudos because you need to do something with this team and they're getting by, but it's not pretty. I still don't count him as a contender. I'm still thinking they're playing with house money, so to speak that they're going in. This could be the Cinderella team that the Bengals were last year but I'm still not impressed with them. Like with the Bengals, I saw like, okay, they have a great quarterback that's emerging. They have a solid wide receiver in Jamar Chase. I don't see that with this team. I think Saquon's been healthy, and he's getting opportunities that Devin Singletary was getting last year with the Bills, and that's smart. That's how you should run it because you have no offensive line. The Giants' offense line is atrocious. So the fact that they're getting wins like this, especially over a team with Aaron Rodgers, that they stifled them enough to take the lead, in that second half, it's just it. Watching from afar, I'm just going, "How is this happening?" It was it was seventeen to three. It was seventeen to three. How you know? There's no excuse. It, it's you're right. <laughs> the Giants had no offense. The Giants' offensive line. There was a couple ticky tacky things here and there, but that didn't determine the outcome in this game. It was it was just poor defensive effort. Packers just. I think the Packers went in there expecting to win and. Uh, you know, after the Giants tied it up and Rodgers comes out and throws three deep shots, I it, it's sad when everybody on Twitter, the fan base, was like, before it even happened, we were like, all right, here comes the, the quick three and out because they're going to play hero ball, and sure enough, they did it. So predictability. It's predictability. They mm-hmm. got away from the game plan, and then when they went and marched down the field, they started to run the ball and mix it up, and look, they marched right down the field. So 
I uh, I hope Lafleur figures it out. I, I think, like I said, the offense will be fine. I just think he needs to have a come to Jesus moment with Joe Barry and get things back on track. Oh, fully agree. I think that that's what he needs to do. And if he doesn't, Rogers needs to. Like Rogers needs to step up and just be like, "Hey, this is the problem. I'm giving you all I can." The fact that you guys were up seventeen to three at, at the one point there, like that's the situation. Like it should have been game over. And the fact that the Giants snuck back in is atrocious because their their defense is not that good to to shut down Rodgers for only two points in the second half. Like, that's that's ridiculous. So you factor that in with an offense that, listen, I couldn't name you anybody else other than Saquon Barkley on that offense right now. I really can't. And yet you guys are going blow for blow with Aaron Rodgers. Like, what, like what world are we living in right now? And yet this happens. Wait, Ken, you're not familiar with Chris Mayerick? Who? Who had one catch for four yards? Who? I'm I'm not convinced the Packers beat the Jets this weekend the way the Jets are playing either. So it'll be interesting to see how they come out and face the adversity that's before them. Uh, and that's kind of all I'm going to say about the Packers. Otherwise, I'll I'll start to to rant and we could be here all day. All right, fair. Fair enough. I mean, Pat, well, let's take a look at those schedules before we get going to the next game. Yeah, so looking at the Packers, as we mentioned, they got the New York Jets this upcoming Sunday. Then they've got the Washington Commanders Week 7, Buffalo Bills, bum, 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 bum. Buffalo Bills Week 8, and then the Detroit Lions in Week 9. Uh, and then flipping it to the other side, Giants fans, you want to test? You fucking got one because this upcoming Sunday, uh, 1 o'clock on CBS, they're playing the Baltimore Ravens at home. Uh, after that, they've got the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then they've got the Seattle Seahawks uh, up in Seattle before they've got a bye week in week nine. Baltimore will be a tough test for them. Yeah, well. That's going to be real tough. Jacksonville, I mean, Jacksonville and Seattle could be coin flips. Like, the Giants could, in theory, come out of this, what, 7-1 and one if they play their cards right? Could be. <sighs> I mean, the yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, you know, he has that team playing above their talent level, and that's the signs of a good coach right there. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give him that. Like I say, his his offensive schemes drive me nuts because watching Bill's games over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. just the sw- the random switch from run to pass that he and he likes to stay in that in that mindset for like majorities of halves is is just it'll drive you nuts. But the fact that he's got Daniel Jones playing at a serviceable level, I mean, he's not the guy, he's not the Messiah, he's not uh, Danny Dimes of the future. Like he's going to be a nice stopgap for the next quarterback to get in. But the fact that he's actually playing like a serviceable NFL pro, I think, is kudos to him. I don't know how much they're going to have that magic go, but I, I will say this. If they can sneak in like a 6-2 and two by their bye week, that's a huge win for the Giants. Mm-hmm. Huge. Because I will tell you that. I never saw that coming. And for the Packers, I mean, I still think that they will be fine in that NFC uh, North. I mean, the, the Bears are who we thought they were. Minnesota is always a coin flip. No, it doesn't matter how with their record. Minnesota hasn't looked that great either. I mean, if you've watched their games, their games have been, they've been squeaking them out. And I'm not convinced that they are that great of a team in their track record. I mean, we all know how Minnesota sports teams go. Right. Well, and I'm true. <laughs> looking at looking at their record, their schedule, you know, they beat Green Bay week one, they lost to Philly week two, and then they lost beat Detroit, New Orleans, and Chicago. And, well, we all know about Detroit, New Orleans, and Chicago right now. Exactly. exactly. And that's the thing, too. Minnesota reminds me of Tennessee last year. Like, sure. Like, they have, sure. A, they have a solid running game, and that's about it. And you don't rely on their quarterback to win you games. Just I'm – 
Well, that's the thing too, and, and the other thing too, I would say with the, with the Green Bay win. Listen, it's Week One; it's a divisional game. You can think anything you want about a divisional game any week of the season. You know, whether it's the greatest team in NFL history or the worst team in NFL history, if it's a divisional game, it is a literal toss up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, definitely some room for the Packers. I mean, I wouldn't hit panic just yet, but it's something to be taking notes moving forward that that defense has got to get on track because Rodgers is giving you all he can. But the final game that we're going to do of a deep dive breakdown, J-E-T-S. I even screwed that up because I was shocked that they pulled this off. But Jets, Jets, Jets defeated those Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pad, let's talk. Yeah, so the Jets won by the final score of 40-17. to Zach Wilson, 14-21, to 210 yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. Skylar Thompson. Ooh. Uh, exactly. Uh, 19 of 33 for 166 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Raheem Mostert was your leading rusher for Miami. 18 carries, 113 yards, one touchdown. Brees Hall uh, led for the Jets. 18 carries, Stud. 18 yes. carries, 97 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Brees Hall also your leading receiver for the Jets with two catches, 100 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, and then Tyreek Hill, your leading receiver for Miami because, well, duh, uh, seven catches, 47 yards, and no touchdowns. Matt, your thoughts? Man, this Jets team, they, I, I'm kind of surprised, but at the same time, like, this is the team I kind of started to expect under Robert Sala. Like, this is what we had been hearing so much about. Now, granted, Miami is without Tua. I get it. Mm-hmm. Teddy Bridgewater went out immediately. Yeah. So how much can you really take from – this I, I'm not sure. I mean, Mostert again went up, had a had a fantastic day. Tyreek Hill had himself a so-so day at 47 yards. But the story here is Brees Hall, man. He is everything and more as advertised. He is a stud. Nearly 200 scrimmage yards and a touchdown. Like if he, he is gonna get going, and he has shown flashes in this game. I kind of feel like this is breakout game. This is the game I expected. To, to come from somebody like him and so if they if they can get that good rushing attack going i have no doubt that players like garrett wilson who's looked pretty good early on Corey davis is going to start and they're also getting you know elijah more and more involved and things like that this this team could make some wild card noise i mean buffalo's going to run away with that division that's that's hands down but mm-hmm. the afc has a lot of toss-ups right now and nothing is given so i can very much see this jets team sneaking to a wild card i know that's insane to think about because it's the new york jets like what who are we talking about but zach wilson looked pretty composed in this game considering after last year you know getting hurt he didn't look the best he looks like he's taken a small step forward and he's improving i will say this i think this is probably his best game i've seen him in but i think there was a lot of pressure off i think once the the third string quarterback was in for miami i think that he really felt comfortable that he didn't have to go blow for blow with bridgewater and I, and I know it's kind of weird to say, but I just think that you really saw him really pick it up in that second half, and especially with how that team was struggling. But to put 21 on, up unanswered in the fourth quarter, I mean, that's huge for a oh, team yeah. for a team that struggles. And I, I fully agree with you about Brees Hall. The Bills had a chance to get him. I know they took Elam instead, which I'm okay with. But I was like, man, if we could actually have got him and how sick that offense would be right now because that guy is going to be a, a stud. He is absolutely just lights out. And once he gets the ball rolling, he is going to just be taking over games. And that's something that the Jets really need is somebody to spark that offense. I think he's perfect for it. And I think they took advantage of a Miami team that, I mean, 
you can say, okay, this is a big win, but like you touched upon, this is a third string quarterback. Like I didn't even know who was, yeah. uh, who was on their roster. So I can't say that this is a bad loss for Miami because they did the best with what they had. So, wow, I'm actually defending well, Miami. Here's, here's the thing. The, the Jets lost to the Ravens and they lost to the Bengals. Both of those are contenders. They fluked out a win against the Browns. And then, of course, they beat the Steelers. I mean, we have no faith in the Steelers, right? So mm-hmm. it is it is hard to say what, what this Jets team is. You know, and like you said, there was a lot of pressure off because they were facing Skylar Thompson, who comes out of nowhere, third string, didn't expect to play. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I get it. There's a lot of hype for Jets fans, and deservedly so, but it's, it's going to be a long season, and they've lost the two contenders already. So I'm interested to see where they go. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely like flashes of brilliance for the Jets, I'd say, and it's a preview of what could be in the future, but it's if the Jets make the right moves, and well, let's face it, the Jets haven't beaten an AFC East team since I forget when the stat is, but it's been a hot minute, you know, so it's been a while. Rex Ryan days? At least since the Rex Ryan days, so that's got to be 2010, 2012, somewhere in there, you know, but I think it just comes back to the Jets played good, and and, and they got a little lucky, I want to say, just because, listen, Teddy Bridgewater isn't really that great, but then you get Skylar Thompson, you know, who is, you know, a seventh-round draft pick from Kansas State out of this year's NFL draft class. You know, it's another case of, like, what happened with New England, you know, against Green Bay you know, got next to no reps with the offer offensive starters, I would be willing to bet. And and it's shown, you know, only 166 yards passing, you know, and, and 19 or 33 attempts, you know, so he tried to throw the ball, but it's just, he, he doesn't have that familiarity with them. And they leaned on, you know, their running game a little bit, you know, we'll see what happens this upcoming week, whether to his back or whether it's, you know, Skylar Thompson in there, you know, who knows as of yet up until game time, we're not going to know, but for the jets, you know, it's a, it's a good win for you, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a, flat preview of what could be in the future but that's if the Jets make the right moves fully agree about that and I think that I if I'm Miami listen you let Tua sit on the sidelines until he's 100% you don't try rushing him back in at any circumstance I don't care if the season's on the line his health is more important and obviously with the first instance that there was a health scare they need to be as safe as possible with him no exceptions whatsoever because I mean it's just egregious that that happened and they just cannot have that fault again. So it could be a, a coin flip about who's going to be behind center on Sunday for him. But listen, Miami is a solid team. My God, I hate saying this. I'm giving him two compliments. This segment this is, we might have to add this whole thing out, Pat. I'm just saying right now, this can't go to go to the masses, but they can hang with most teams. So just if they show up and their defense can play, they're going to be fine. I mean, that's the one thing about them, but for the jets, I mean, that's the bigger story in Brees hall. He is now on everybody's radar. If you weren't familiar with him, you are now. And taking a look at and taking a look at those schedules moving forward. Yeah, so the Jets this upcoming Sunday are up in Green Bay playing the Packers. After that, they play the Denver Broncos, the New England Patriots, and Buffalo Bills before they've got a bye week in Week 11 or Week 10, excuse me. Uh, and then the Miami Dolphins this upcoming Sunday are at home against the Minnesota Vikings. Then they play the Pittsburgh Steelers, Detroit Lions, Chicago Bears, Cleveland Browns before they've got a bye week in Week 11. God, they got three. They got possibly three wins right in a row there after next week. So Miami, it just depends on how they are shaping up at the quarterback position to move forward. And then for the Jets, I mean, they're going to have a tough task against Green Bay. I think they'll make adjustments, so it's going to be harder for Zach Wilson to defeat Aaron Rodgers. But that's what can happen on any given Sunday. 
So that said, Pad, let's do a quick lap around the league, and then after the scores, Matt, you give your take on each game here. Yeah, uh, so the Thursday night game and the stinker of all stinkers was the Indianapolis Colts beating the Denver Broncos 12-9 in uh, overtime. Your thoughts, Matt? Oh, God. That... Look, I, I'm not a Russell Wilson fan at all. I never have been. I think, you know, his he just drives me nuts. And so to kind of see this entire team fall apart, it, it's kind of funny. I'm sorry, Broncos fans. But th- there's so much talent on that team that real is like, what is going on in Denver? I, I wish I knew. The Colts are not a good team. You should not be losing to the Indianapolis Colts. In that, that fourth down play, Wilson had his man wide open, and he just – laser focused he's not the russell wilson of old he wants to make these hero plays rather than rushing for it taking you know using his legs like he should be or taking what's given to him so i i don't know that they're going to figure it out especially in a division where it's very much the chiefs division and then the chargers are making some noise because the chargers are a good team but they've got to get it figured out asap otherwise hackett's going to be a one and done and their their fans are letting them have it already they have no patience and i don't blame them yeah, no, this is a game that Denver or the yeah, Denver Broncos should have easily won. Like, I figured this was an easy win once it was announced. I forget what day it was, but it was before the game that Jonathan Taylor wouldn't be playing against the, the Broncos. And I went, well, shit, that's an easy win for Denver then. Exactly. You know, when, when Deion Jackson is your leading rusher. Who? Exactly. Which is leading rusher for Indianapolis, 13 carries, 62 yards. You know, and Alec Pierce is your leading receiver, you know, for the Colts. You know, with eight carries, eight catches, 81 yards, you know. I'm just you know a second round pick out of Cincinnati. You just look at this and go, oh, Russell Wilson should be able to pull this off easily. Now maybe the injury has because what is it? It's like a lat tear, partial lat tear. Yeah, the partial lat tear. You know that maybe that has something to do with it. You know because uh, as we record, he is currently listed on the Denver Broncos injury. He's listed as questionable. uh, With quote, Coach Nathaniel Hackett said Tuesday that Wilson should be ready to play Monday at the Chargers. uh, You know, but we'll see. You know this. This is a stinker of all stinkers. I, I did love, though, that, uh, what was it, Al Michaels tried to spin it of like, oh, you know, hey, sometimes even though a game's really bad, you can still kind of spin it and it's a fun game. And Kirk Herbstreit just went, no, no, you can't. This game sucks. The, the only <laughs> thing fun about this, yeah, the only thing fun to say about this game is let's ride. That's it. Yeah. Next. Uh, you had the New England Patriots beat the uh, uh, almost LA Rams. Wow. Beat the Detroit Lions by the final score of 29 to nothing. Yikes. Matt, your thoughts? I'll be honest. This is like the one game I really didn't see at all in the red zone. I mean, there there was Ramondre Stevenson. What I did see, he is an absolute beast. Now, Damian Harris is going to be out with a hamstring injury. But Stevenson is, he is a monster to take down. And he showed his, his agility. He was bowling through defenders. The Lions, their defense is awful. Bad defense. Their offense has been touted, though, as the number one offense. But Jared Goff just... They did not look good. Uh, Sun God obviously had an ankle injury, so he was on the snap count. But, yeah, there's not much to say that this the Lions just did not look good. And watch out, you know, Bailey Zappi, third, you know, third, you know, third string quarterback, like coming out of nowhere, Bill Belichick, something like undefeated when he has to play like rookie quarterbacks. Rookie quarterbacks take rookie quarterbacks taken outside of the first round, making their NFL debut with Bill Belichick are undefeated. I'm from Massachusetts, so I all my friends are Patriots fans, and I already see the, the controversy of, you know, Bailey Zappi should be the starting quarterback over Mac Jones. Well, it's like, come on, guys, pump your Boston sports media. Yeah. 
Listen, I knew I should. I I needed to pick up a wide receiver just because a couple of my my think my flex, you know, had an injury. I need to pick a guy up. Inj- I gotta admit, Jacoby Myers was available on the wire, but I'm just like, ah, Jacoby Myers. He's coming. He hadn't played in the last couple weeks. I don't know if I should have done it. Fuck, I should have done it. Seven catches, 111 yards, one touchdown. You know, I maintain. You know, the Detroit Lions saw Matt Patricia on the other sidelines and shit their pants collectively, just because there <laughs> there is just no explaining why the the Patriots win. Continues to ruin their lives. You know, yeah, Matt Patricia continues to haunt their lives, much like Tom Brady continues to haunt the dreams of the Atlanta Falcons. You know, it, it just makes no goddamn sense why this happened. And listen, Bailey Zapp is doing great. I think Mac Jones is the starter, but I think it's a great piece for them to hold on to. The fact that you have a that you have a quarterback as your backup who is serviceable that, God forbid, something happens. You know, Mac breaks his leg, breaks his arm, you know, knock on wood, not wishing on it. But, hey, these things happen. Sure. That you know what you have behind you. That, hey, if something happens and Mac goes down and he's out for the rest of the year, we got a guy who can service you. Plus, when he, and he's on a rookie contract. So when that rookie contract comes up, hey, you can re-sign him and hold on to him or use him as a little bit of trade offers and get a lot of picks back. I fully have this vision in my head of Patricia on the sidelines and going Emperor Palpatine, just sitting there, wait, <laughs> just like looking at Jared Goff and just like the music of Star Wars kick in and Goff just going, oh, crap. Oh, no. <laughs> and just freaking out. And then that's the only way I can describe this game because this game was ugly as hell if you're a Detroit fan. Uh, I don't even know where to go from this because Bill Belichick just shut them down. And I, I know they were like the number one offense in the league for, for a quick hiccup here. Yeah. But my God, this is like a crash to reality. Everything seems right in the world here. Uh, what else can you really say about this game, Pat? I, I got nothing. Uh, I got nothing. I had a good win, and uh, on to Cleveland. Yes, next up. Uh, the Buffalo Bills beat the, the Pittsburgh Steelers by the final score of 38-3. to Matt? <laughs> well, I mean, we kind of knew. this. We knew this was going to happen. Look, to be honest, the, the Steelers are a mess, absolute mess, and – you know, when the Bills are on, they are on, man. Josh Allen opens the game with the 98-yard touchdown to Gabe Davis. Like, good Lord. And it, it made me happy as a Boise State alum to see Khalil Shakir catch a touchdown mm-hmm. pass as well. But, yeah, this this team is rolling, man. When they are on, they are on. They're a very scary team. It's going to be a very good game this weekend. 4-1 and one Bills, 4-1 and one Chiefs. But that Steelers team's just a mess. I mean, Deontay Johnson's dropping passes. Kenny Pickett did what he could do. I mean, that's all you can ask for for a first-time starting rookie quarterback against the number one pass defense in the league. And that Najee Harris has just been nothing. Their offensive line is awful. Mm-hmm. Claypool can't catch a cold. Their defense, you know, they they just don't have any. You know, T.J. Watts out, and that's that is their defense right there. So the Steelers, they they have a Matt Canada. They need to just get rid of Matt Canada starting there. That that might help. Yeah, this 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 Pittsburgh team is just bad. You know, their leading r- rusher was Jalen Warren, five catches. Who? Uh, yeah, exactly, twenty four yards, no touchdowns. Uh, George Pickens was their leading receiver, six carry, six catches, eighty three yards, no touchdowns. You know, but just, this, I the, I like the meme I saw where it was like, oh, Josh Allen and the Bills playing offense today, and there was nobody on defense because that's what it felt like. And and you know things are going bad for Pittsburgh when Ryan Clark was on ESPN uh, Get Up and he basically said, well, the you know they gave up, meaning the Pittsburgh Steelers, because this is a team that prides itself on defense and, and next man up, and you know and and the history and tradition. This team is fucking awful. There's a couple things with this game. One. Uh, I'm going full broadcast, boys, because a lot of these people, I'm like, who? Who? Because Pittsburgh is just a mess right now. Mm-hmm. And for a Steelers team under Tomlin and the regime that they have there, I thought they made one major miscue, though, with this to start out with. I wouldn't have started a pick at this game. No. I think that this was a big disservice to the kid. 
because the Bills are one of the top defenses in the league. You put him in against the Maserati, let the Maserati start, and then if he can't keep you in this, then you then you bring in Pickett again. I understand the reason why they did it, but I just think this was a tough task to do, and Buffalo came in with a big chip on that shoulder and ready to go. Gabe Davis was really solidifying himself as, a, as the number two receiver. I think he really made leaps and bounds to jump up there. So when the Bills are rolling, they're definitely scary. And for Pittsburgh, I mean, it's just a hot mess express right now. I I hate seeing their season is done, but their season's done. I really hate saying that, but it's true. Next up. Uh, next up was the uh, L.A. Chargers beating the Cleveland Browns by a final score of 30-28. to 28. Matt? Chargers got lucky, man. They got real lucky after that awful fourth down call where they turned the ball over. Mike Williams, I mean, that guy is a bona fide stud. He went out there and balled out. And I, I get, you know, they really have no other choice right now, but Austin Eckler had himself a day as well. Justin Herbert seems to be recovering just fine from his injury. Like I said, Mike Williams, 10 catches, 134 yards. The next closest receiver was Josh Kelly with two for 33 yards. Eckler had 16 carries, 173 yards. And, uh, yeah, they, they went out there, did their thing. You know, the, the Browns are – not a bad team, but they're not a great team. Brissett, 230 yards touchdown. Chubb was a monster. He he took over this game early and had 134 yards. But, yeah, the Chargers got extremely lucky with their play calling there at the end. Yeah, fully agree with you on that one. Yeah, no, it's certainly a, you know, a, good, a good win for the Chargers. They got lucky. And, and listen, this is an AFC that – you know, you've obviously got the cream of the crop with the Bills and the Chiefs, both 4-1. and one, But after that, I'm looking at the playoff standings breakdown. Uh, positions 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all are 3-2. and two. So this is a team that, like, if they play their cards right, but the way they – because, listen, I don't think they're going to get the 1 or 2 seed. The, the Chargers, they play their cards right. They could very well end up as the 3 seed, you know, if, if they play their cards right and things go well for them. But if they keep playing games like this, that ain't going to fucking happen. They're the most inconsistent team of all football. And, like, that's why I, I would never rely on them for anything. Like, the games they should roll on teams, they get rolled over. And then the games that, you know, they are have no chance in, they drop 56 out of nowhere. Like, that's the one thing about this whole franchise I've never been able to understand, and I just avoid them like the plague if I can. Uh, I don't like picking them, that is for sure, for this exact reason. Because I think also it lies on their coaching. I think they, yes. to an extent, have a coaching issue where – Staley is just confusing. He, I don't know. I, I just, I don't have faith in him as a coach. That That's really all there is to that one. No, no problem there. Uh, next up, you had the Minnesota Vikings beat to the Chicago Bears 29-22. to Matt? Yeah, you know, Fields was actually throwing the ball a little bit this game. When I tuned in here and there, I was pleasantly surprised, and at very early on it looked like it was going to be a steamroll. The Vikings jumped out to a massive lead, just absolutely beating them up and down the field. But Fields, 15 for 21, 208 yards and a touchdown? That's the best game he has played this season, and the best game he's played in a long, long time, which is kind of sad to say, like, oh, a 200-yard day. But that's a step in the right direction for that team. They desperately needed it. It's been scrutinized left and right. And their running game didn't really do anything. David Montgomery, 20 yards rushing. Herbert, 11 yards rushing. Fields led the backfield with 47 yards rushing. And the the Bears, they they held in there. Credit to them. They realistically could have won this game, but made a couple mistakes down the stretch. And 
like I said, I'm not a I'm not sold on this Vikings team. They are four and one, but they beat the Lions. Yes, week one Packers. Week one Packers, we all know what you're gonna get week one with the Packers. They're mm-hmm. gonna dispense that in for a loss for that team. So I don't count that one necessarily. But a win's a win. And Cousins went for two ninety six, a touchdown, Cook and Matson, they they did their work, so it's it's tough to see say what you're getting with this Vikings team. Yeah, this team, uh, I don't really trust the Vikings, but I will say the Bears actually looked like a football team, so it's a step in the right direction. You know, like this thing feels actually looked like an NFL quarterback. It's baby steps, but, you know, that's the takeaway from this, that this was a game they could have won, they didn't, and the Vikings, they don't win pretty. Like I say, they're the Tennessee Titans of this season. Like, they win ugly, and it's not fun. Um, I'm not saying they're as boring as the Indianapolis Colts because, literally, that is the most boring team in football. No question about that. But, you know, they have a good dance partner here with the Vikings. So you take what you get, and, you know, the Vikings got the dub. Uh, Next up, you had the New Orleans Saints uh, beat the Seattle Seahawks by a final score of 39-32. Of note, uh, Taysom Hill, four touchdowns, three rushing uh, as a running back, one as a quarterback. Wow, I I forgot he was still on the team. And don't ask him what position he's going to play on Sunday because even he doesn't know. Yeah. Matt? I almost picked him up in fantasy, but I went with Hayden Hurst, who still won me my my week somehow. But, man, you have no idea what you're getting week in and week out with the Saints team. And... The Seahawks, they are the number one offense in the league right now. It's very much weird. I, I get they're both two and three teams that aren't very good, but at the same time are good. So I, I don't know if this was more of just like two crappy teams beating up each other or what it was. But Geno, three touchdowns. I mean, 268 yards. He played a really clean game. Rashad Penny, of course, is out. And that uh, kind of sucks. But Kenneth Walker stepped in, had a really big run. And he's looking like he might be that go-to back going forward for the Seahawks team. Metcalf and Lockett have continued to do pretty well in this offense. And then on the Saints side of the ball, Andy Dalton is Andy Dalton. Mm-hmm. You know what you're getting. He's very middle of the road. Like He's somebody who's not going to go out there and typically win you football games. If and This is what drives me crazy. Anytime Taysom Hill is in the lineup or you know in the offensive on the field, you know generally what's going to happen. Yeah. He's going to run the ball, and yet they couldn't stop him. Nine carries, 112 yards, three touchdowns. Like He outplayed Kamara, who ran for 100 yards on 23 carries himself. So, again, the receiving Kamara, six receptions, 91 yards. The Saints, neither of these teams are very good football teams. So the Saints just happened to have a Taysom Hill, who decided to show up this week. Yeah, it's a weird thing with this team, but I, I can never root against Andy Dalton because he did get the Buffalo Bills to the playoffs the one year, so he always has a special yes. place on, on, on my fan club. But you're right. I mean, both these teams, you never know what you're going to get out of this. I mean, Seattle, we all thought was going to be written for dead with yeah. Russell Wilson leaving, but they're actually hanging in games, and this was not a this is one they they could have won. But at the same time, the Saints they have this weird thing where they'll turn it on at the right time. It's just inconsistent enough that you never, like we've all touched upon, you never know what you're going to get out of this team. And that's the scary thing with them is they're almost in a parallel to the Chargers. Just they're not as good as the Chargers, if that makes sense. Agreed. Yeah, so I think this one, interesting way it shaped out. I do feel bad for Andy Dalton, though, but, you know, it is what it is. Next up. Uh, the Tennessee Titans beat the Washington Commanders by the final score of 21-17. to Bum, 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 bum. Matt, oh, what do you Ron think? Rivera. Oh, Ron Rivera. Yeah. <laughs> that man. Well, the tight. neither of these teams deserve to really win. I mean, the Titans were blowing them off. Henry had two touchdowns, 100 yards rushing, and then the Commanders were mounting a comeback. I mean, Carson Wentz threw for 359 and two touchdowns. 
Where that came from, I couldn't tell you. Really great moment. Brian Robinson actually led this backfield with nine carries. Yeah, 22 yards, but, but still. it was really good to see him take the field after what he's been through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Brown. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go right ahead. I was just going to say, Brown comes out of nowhere with two receptions, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Like, nobody expected that. We all thought it was going to be the Terry McClure and Curtis Samuel show, but it really wasn't. And then the Commanders had a chance to go and win, and then Wentz through just an awful interception on the goal line to end the game and. How many times have we seen that by Carson Wentz in recent years? Yeah, I mean, the magic's gone with him. Like, I hate saying it, but it's true. Like, I think that he is a quarterback that we talked about in in kind of in the same reference of Joe Burrow in this aspect, in this aspect only. When you come in and you surprise the league, you have to adapt your game. And I, in my opinion, I don't think he's ever done that. I think he's always just been even keel about what he does. He doesn't really switch things up here and there. Whereas like Burrow, you're starting to see a little bit of that, but he's got to go further with it. It's just a sense that when you surprise people in this league, you got to come with something different every year. And I think that Wentz, with all the injuries he's had over time, he's he's playing at a decent level, but he's not somebody that's going to go in there and win you games. Now, granted, the stat line for this one blew my mind, but then again, Tennessee is not the Tennessee of old, too. Nope. So I think when you when you mix all that up, I mean, you just get this real weird cocktail of commander's football that just sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and in this case they could have won it but then Wentz went back to the old you know late minute I don't want to say choke but mistake I guess is probably the thing this sure. the mistake well that he that he goes to and we've all seen this unfortunately yep. like I said I don't root against him but it's just like man he finds ways to do this and you always hate seeing it but it's true like I think the game might have just passed him by but if you're relying on him to win a game late it's not going to happen nope uh, next up, you had the San Francisco 49ers beat the Carolina Panthers by the final score of 37 to 15. Pour one out for Matt Rule, folks. Yep. He has been canned. The defensive coordinator has been canned. And I almost want to fire Kyle Shanahan and crew just for trying to run Jimmy Garoppolo out of town. That man wins you football games. He doesn't do it pretty, he's not the best quarterback. But if that guy does not consistently get you to the playoffs and somehow win football games, it's baffling. It really is to me. And he played a sound game, 253, two touchdowns. Jeff Wilson went off for 120 yards and a touchdown. Tevin Coleman got himself a touchdown. Their leading receiver is Brandon Ayuk with 58 yards. But the bigger story here is Baker Mayfield. I have defended Baker Mayfield. I, I really have. And I, I do to a dis- extent because he's about to go under like what his sixth head coach in five mm-hmm. years or something, something like crazy that. So like that. Really? You don't have a system or somebody to build you up. So it's, it's hard. It's got to be really hard as a quarterback, but at the same time, like he makes some really bonehead plays and that offense is just disgusting. And that team is just disgusting. And, the Bills tried to get Christian McCaffrey. I can't say I blame them there. They were like, oh, you guys are doing fire sales? Go ahead. What can we get for C-Mac? And uh, he's he's the only shining thing on that Panthers team right now. It's That's all there is to that one. Yeah, this team, I mean, there really isn't anything to write home about other than uh, McCaffrey might be a Bill, and uh, I heard Zach Moss's name might be in the trade block with him too, so I'm okay with this like on all levels. Uh, and Rule getting fired, not surprised. Uh, kind of really surprised this early in the season, but I think the, yeah. writing, the writing's on the wall. I think Baker was supposed to be the savior of this franchise, and obviously he's not the Baker of old. He is no. 
he is the reincarnation of Johnny Manziel. I can't remember if Rich said this from 3FN or not, but uh, whoever did, I will give you full credit because he is literally playing like him, and this is not something that you want to build around. I don't know what happened. The disconnect is, was there, but I think that he got himself so up for that uh, Cleveland game week one, he's just never bounced back when he lost that, and that's something so weird to say, but I think it's mentally in his head that it's a wrap. And then on the flip side, you're absolutely right. Jimmy G wins you games, uh, except the NFC Championship. But he will get you there, and that's all you need because I think Trey Lance is not the guy. But with John Lynch and company there, like I'm sure they're kicking themselves that they were even trying to move him. And this is why you keep a guy like Jimmy G on the payroll. Like, Sure, he might be eating up some salary holding a clipboard for your number one draft pick, but this is why you keep him here for when your number one draft pick goes down. Cause now he's a winner. Yeah, he'll he'll win. It like it's not flashy. Like his game reminds me of Brad Johnson way back when. Oh wow! Like yes. legit, legit. But it's but you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Brad Johnson uh, won. Yeah, he was well, the quarterback that know, won the Super Bowl. You there. Know who was the Jimmy G before Jimmy G was Jimmy G? Is Troy Aikman? Yeah, that's that's who he is right there. And it's not sexy, but he's a winner, man. He re- he really is. And whether he stays with this 49ers team or they eventually do get rid of him, I, I personally think it's a mistake. Again, he's not somebody who's going to go out there and ball out for you, but he's not necessarily going to lose you football games. And they have a really solid team, but they just keep getting bit by the you know the injury bug, which sucks. And yeah, they might choke in the NFC Championship game, which I can't talk because so are the Green Bay Packers. But you, they they're winning football games. Yeah, and that's all you can ask for. You don't have to win pretty. I'm never going to knock a football team for winning ugly. And as long as you win, that division is wide open. And realistically, if the rest of that division, mainly the Rams, don't get it together, the Niners might sneak in and take that division this year. If Samuel and Kittle stay healthy, I fully see that happening. Like that, but it all depends. Like if they can stay healthy, their defense. I can't really name too many people other than Bosa on that team, but they show up, and they're like the the silent. Uh, squad that just goes out there and just balls out like you, you they don't do anything flashy they just play solid but they they hit hard and i think that that's something for uh the niners they need that identity that they can just go in there and they'll surprise some teams and definitely if jimmy g can just play solid enough they're gonna be fine and that's the big takeaway Absolutely. here uh you had the philadelphia eagles beat the arizona cardinals 20 to 17 the eagles are lucky kyler murray doesn't know field awareness at all like what i was watching that final play he slides a yard short and then it's third and one and they've got some time they could get that first down and spike the ball instead he spikes the ball and then they missed the field goal because they didn't realize that their field goal kicker wasn't actually that good and you know matt amandola i get it man like kicking is a hard hard position to play but your quarterback did you no favors and this was really a game that they could have won i mean the eagles weren't doing anything flashy. Jalen Hurts, you know, the quarterback, he just a vulture on the goal line, two touchdown rushing, but 239 yards, that was kind of all he did. Their leading receiver was Dallas Goddard with 95 yards. And, you know, Kyler Murray just, I, he, something's been wrong with him this year. That whole team seems kind of broken. And I don't know if it's mainly on Kyler Murray, if it's maybe on the coaching, you know, but when your quarterback, doesn't really understand where he's at on the field at the end of the game. That one's definitely on him. And they, they, that was their game to lose and they lost it. So the thing with that spike on third and one, I saw reported on the line uh, last night 
that one of the video boards or whatever or scoreboards, whatever it was that they were looking at was incorrectly said first and 10. And so th- that was the speculation of why they did that was they, it was while it was third one, whatever it was, they looked up at the video board or scoreboard, whatever they were looking at. And it had the incorrect down and yards to go marker on it. So that was the lead review that I feel like that. I don't think so. I don't think they can That's review that. But, yeah. So that, that was the speculation as to why that decision was made was that it was a fuck up on the stadium side of things that they had the wrong down and yards to go marker on one of the scoreboards, That's whatever tough. it was. Yeah. No, t- tough loss for the eagles but hey fly eagles fly you're currently five and oh and like leading. i said a win is a win yeah you're five and oh and leading the nfc least or hell they're looking pretty good this year they're doing things that's the only thing you can say i mean it's tough to put it on the final line for a kicker i know uh uh the was it justin Pugh that came out to defend the kicker for oh Arizona yeah. in the locker room yeah i thought it was a cool thing because you know what it, it, they're exactly right. Like you can't really rely on him. Just they had their chances. They just didn't pull it off. Arizona is a puzzling team that they should be playing better than they are, but they just find ways not to. And with Kyler Murray, I mean, I understand the off season was the off season, but he's got to pull it together. I know he's got DeAndre Hopkins coming back soon, so that will help out tremendously. Should be, I think this uh, it's either this upcoming Sunday or the week after. Yeah, it's the week after. So as soon as he comes back, that I think that offense will get clicking. It's just a matter of if they can get five hundred to. By the time, you know, playing like at a 500 level, I should say, when they get there. But for the Eagles, yeah, fly, Eagles, fly. Big game coming up this week. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not leastly, on Monday night, you had the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Las Vegas Raiders 30-29. to I wish Devontae Adams would shove his head coach and or Hunter Redenfro to the ground instead of that cameraman because – what a bonehead decision when you are about to tie the Kansas City Chiefs with four and a half minutes, there was no need to go for two there. Absolutely zero need. You, but just stupidity to go for two. You tie the game up. Adams is balling out. And then your receivers, you know, it's a good, I don't hate that fourth and one play call, but when you have Renfro anywhere near Adams, they, it's just, and then he runs into him and tackles his own team. It's just, I have not seen Devonte Adams that frustrated and, Look, you kind of did it to yourself. Josh Jacobs, though, was a man possessed. 154 yards rushing. Adams, three catches, 124. And I was kind of saying this while I was watching this game. I swear Derek Carr forgets he has Devontae Adams on his football team because three catches, it's kind of like you're not used to seeing a stat line like that. And they actually played really well in that first half against the Chiefs and then just fell apart at the end. And, I mean, maybe somebody might want to cover Travis Kelsey, just saying. Yeah, jeez, he had a freaking game. Tied a Monday yeah, night record. You you lose. He went from, I saw he went from, I think it was like 90, 90th as far as touchdowns for tight ends to 69 after that game last night, which is just absolutely crazy. Nice. You know, the, yeah. the, the thing about the Raiders is they live and die on Derek Carr, but this isn't on him. This is all on Josh McDaniels, like this entire game. I thought his play calling was bad, and I thought that going for it with a two-point conversion, four minutes left, like that was one of the most boneheaded calls I think I've seen in recent memory. I don't understand the need to. I mean, I can understand like if you had if you really felt like momentum had swung your way, uh-huh. but you saw the Chiefs were creeping back in that game. Like, why would you not take the easy points, put in your defense, which your defense was getting to Mahomes? Like that's the big thing. Instead, you you risk the lead, and then you get into that situation where you're asking Carr to pull a lot off. And granted, I understand when Renfro and Adams collided. Like, listen, you can't 
it just it happens. Well, but Daniel Carlson booting it from sixty yards. Yeah, the tie, and then you know they got the ball back, so they could have potentially you know who knows how the game would have played out. They they tie it up, they get the ball back, and then they go ahead and maybe get to the forty yard line and see what Daniel Carlson can do. No, I, I fully agree with you. Like that's the situation they should have done, and the fact that they didn't. I mean, this is on McDaniel's, and I know a lot of Raiders fans. Like I said, we talk about Rich from Three FN all the time. He's a big Raiders fan. I mean, this is all McDaniel's, like mm-hmm. straight up. And he could be the next coach getting fired. I think if they lose maybe two more games, I think they're going to pull the trigger and then do it. The only time I would ever trust a two point conversion is if I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his prime as my tight end. You know, if like if if you're running like if you're running like a goal line fade and you got a receiver who can like jump ball like he, like he's a center in the NBA going for tip off, you know, if you got a receiver tight end, you know, or even hell even a running back who can just run there get jump up and get the ball over the defender, that's about the only time I trust or feel confident about you know a two point conversion. Otherwise, I, I ain't going near that. I'm putting the ball on my, the ball in my defense's hands. Yeah, well, I mean that's all the whole thing with them is like I understand why they give it to Jacobs, but at the same time is like. It's too risky. Like you, you have your rival on the ropes. You got to go for that knockout, and the knockout was the kick. I mean, if you got that point, sure, you're up by what one point. Like, what difference is that going to make? It really makes no difference. It, that's the that's what's crazy. It's I'm tired of these coaches out. It's they they outsmart them. We saw Harbaugh do it last week. It's like guys, this is not complicated. At all. Yeah. And you're making it more complex. I don't care what the analytics say. You conti- you haven't beaten the Chiefs in Arrowhead in God knows how long. Take the points. You're tied. And it's a whole new ball game at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like, the fact the that... same thing... Oh, go. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, it's the same thing we saw with all these teams against the Patriots all these years, right? They, for some reason, they just cannot... Pull, they, they just dumb themselves. They outsmart themselves. Anytime they go up against Bill Belichick, and now we've been seeing it against Mahomes and Reed, these teams just outsmart themselves. When really, just go back to the basics. Go, that that's really is. There's there's no secret. There's nothing crazy. You're outsmarting nobody but yourselves. And look what happened. Now you're one and four. Exactly. Or one and three, whatever it is. No, it's it's one and four. And I mean, they're like I said, they're going to be in some big time trouble. And that's something that they're going to need to fix quick if McDaniel is going to keep his job. Because if Rule is getting fired for that. I have a sense. I mean, the Raiders are a different organization. They are not going to tolerate losing. It's just win, baby, as the motto says. And if he's not winning, they're going to do something quick. And I think, unfortunately, Derek Carr will be gone by the end of the season. And then they're going to have to go out and get a new quarterback. And, if they get, and, I mean, the possibilities, if they get somebody else there, who knows. But I think for what Carr is doing, I thought he played well. I just think he gets worried that he's going to be throwing too much like a Stafford. Like he goes, he's going to go to Adams too much. Because Adams is getting double teamed, even though he is getting open. But the thing is, he, I mean, I know what Darren Waller got hurt early on the sidelines, a hamstring. Yep. Renfro uh, was there. And then uh, Hollins, I believe is the, the receiver's name. He was having a solid game. It's like they, he's just got to start working the ball out more. And I know he's not doing it, but I think he's also feeling that pressure too, which is not a good sign. But it's something that I think if the Raiders are going to do anything moving forward, they got to fix this and fix this quick. So. Agreed. 
That being said, we gave you a lot of NFL talk these past two segments, and we definitely want to interact with you. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about this previous week of the NFL? We definitely want to talk about it. We're coming back with a previously taped segment. We're giving you the wrestling recap. You are listening to the ODPH podcast with Matt from Hopkeys News on. We're going to be back in just a second. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Moth, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern, or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to talk some wrestling. Yeah, we do. We have to talk about the events that went down this past Saturday, live from Philadelphia on the Peacock Network. Mm -hmm. WWE Extreme Rules. EC Dub, EC Dub, EC Dub. I will tell you this. WWE finally captured that vibe to a degree for Mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, if you're not familiar with WWE Extreme Rules... They like to have wild stipulations in most of their matches. Mm-hmm. Now, over the past couple of years, it's kind of been watered down. Yeah, I mean, last year, for example, for a, a card that is titled Extreme Rules, there was only mat- one match that was, quote-unquote, extreme. Extreme! The rest of them were just standard matches. Yeah, so it really kind of defeated the purpose. But now with Triple H at the helm of creative mm-hmm. and doing an amazing job, mm-hmm. reigniting a fan base that was very, very stagnant and bored with the product, this was a showcase of what he could really do if he really let his mind go completely off the walls and delivered for a crowd that was, was hot from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And that ending has got the wrestling world on fire. Yo. So let's break down the card, give you our takes on it, and then we will be definitely discussing that ending. Absolutely. So the first match that took place was the uh, six-man tag match uh, between the Brawling Brutes, that being Butch, Ridge Holland, and Sheamus, uh, taking on Imperium, that being Giovanni Vinci, Gunther, and Ludwig Kaiser. Uh, and you had in a good old-fashioned Donnybrook match, which, mm-hmm. is, which is essentially a, a street fight, but with shillelaghs. Uh, bar tables and uh, barrels. Yep. Uh, and you had the Brawling Brutes emerge victorious, winning in 17 minutes and 50 seconds. Wild match to start off with. Goddamn good match to start off with. Pete Dunne is a wild man. Yeah, he is. Wild is an understatement for this entire card, but these six individuals got in there and definitely wanted to set the pace early. Mm-hmm. Hard hitting, as you would expect, because Gunther and Sheamus do not exactly pull punches. <laughs> it was a great showcase for Imperium, too. Yeah. I have to say, if you're not familiar with their work in NXT as a tag team, this was a real showcase of what they could do, mm-hmm. and obviously with Rich Holland and Pete Dunne, uh, a.k.a. Butch, this was a great way to make them stand out as well. Yeah. That you almost, you often forget that they were singles wrestlers before they got put in this faction. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what the future is going to hold for Pete Dunne and, and Holland in this situation, but I think they're going to keep him as a unit. And this is something moving forward that was Sheamus chasing after Gunther for the Intercontinental title. Yep. This will still build to a story, but for being in Philly... With a lot of the expectations out mm-hmm. the gate, they fully delivered. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like the story is going to with these two is going to continue just because flashback to Friday where there was an intercontinental championship match between Gunther and Sheamus. Shenanigans ensued. You know, Gunther, you know, technically technically won. You know, but there was a tap or whatever it was. That, like you know, Sheamus should have won. So you know that whole thing going on. You know, so with Sheamus picking up this one, it's seeming like he's they're giving him an argument for like, hey. 
between Friday and Saturday, I really should have be champion. I deserve another chance at this. I'm all for it. Listen, I know Sheamus, you know, had the whole banger after banger after banger thing, you know, after what was it, Clash at the Castle and his mm-hmm. matchup with Gunther there. And I'm like, okay, listen, it was a great match, but is it banger after banger? I don't know. You know what? I'm starting to agree. Like, this was another phenomenal match between these two with the additions of the other two guys in their respective tag teams. Well, that's the thing that a lot of fans don't realize with Sheamus. Sure. He does put on great work. And I think it flies under the radar a lot mm-hmm. because his character is pretty much straightforward. He's yeah. going to just maul you and beat you and, and kick your teeth in. But he does put on fantastic work in the ring. And now he's at this level where you can almost plug and play him in any situation. And he can definitely get the job done. Yeah. And in a situation like this, he is absolutely right. He's putting on banger after banger after banger. So more power to it. Want to see this feud continue on for a little bit longer. I think Survivor Series, we might see something happen here. Yeah, I maybe, can see it. Maybe that'll be the cap off. Maybe they could be in all games, but we don't know yet. We don't know. Uh, next up was for the WWE Women's uh, SmackDown Women's Championship, and this was an extreme rules match between Liv Morgan defending her belt against Ronda Rousey. Uh, and you had Ronda Rousey emerge victorious, submitting Liv Morgan in 12 minutes and five seconds. This was an okay match. It was all right. I wasn't blown away by it, mm-hmm. but I, I thought their timing was off just a little bit. A little bit. I will say Ronda's submission of Liv mm-hmm. was interesting. Yeah, it was. Almost like a sitting triangle choke. Yeah, from, it was different. From, from a, like it, was, it was a very unique move. Liv smiling, though. Yeah, I, supposedly that's a character change or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't really know where they're going with her, but I think... In hindsight now, they made the right call mm-hmm. in taking the belt away from her because Liv as a character does a better job chasing as, than champion. Yeah. Because especially when you're supposed to be facing Ronda Rousey, and obviously everybody knows her background in MMA and UFC and mm-hmm. you know, at one point being the most dominant female competitor in all of MMA until Amanda Nunez came through. <laughs> yeah. It's a situation if you have Liv whose character – is still on that path of growing, mm-hmm. you know, being the underdog. You can't exactly go in there against the champion and completely dominate. I think they might. This might be one of the faux pas of the current Triple H regime mm-hmm. of you tried rushing things too soon. Yeah, maybe. But if they're going to do a change of character, I don't know how I feel about that either. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be better if just live refocused, maybe did some more training to work up to another rematch against Ronda sure. down the road. Sure. So. And like I say, it wasn't a bad match. was not my favorite one on the card. And with Ronda as champion, that does open up a lot more doors, per yeah, se, especially yeah. with rumors of Charlotte Flair coming back. Got to figure she's uh, coming back sooner. Yeah, so that makes a little more sense to do. So we'll have to wait and see. But not a bad match, though. I want to well, stress that. Uh, next up was a matchup between Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross in a strap match. Uh, and you had Karrion Cross emerge victorious uh, with some help, uh, pinning Drew McIntyre in 10 minutes and 20 seconds. How perfect. This was awesome. How perfect was this with Scarlett's interference? Karrion Cross gets the cheap win, mm-hmm. but an effective win. He needed this because, obviously, coming back to the WWE Universe since his uh, call-up days, and we'll just leave it at that, Yeah, he needs to be a badass. He needs to have big wins. Getting a win over Drew McIntyre is wor- works for him, and it works for Drew too. And I and I like what they're doing with Scarlett because she obviously is the, is the valet, quote unquote, you know, out there to help him, out there to you know whatever. And and there was a moment where she came in the ring to stop Drew from attacking Karrion because hey, in case you didn't know, they are in real life married, mm-hmm. you know. And she held her hand up, and I was watching the match. I'm like, oh, she's going to do the fireball gimmick again, yep. and then she didn't. 
And I was like, oh, okay, there's there's something. And then and then she hit him with the pepper spray or the mace or whatever it was. You know, I'm like, oh, that's different. They 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 swerved me. I thought it was going to go one way and it went another way. No, this is a great match between these two. Hard hitting. Goddamn the the slaps you heard from the straps hitting their backs was ridiculous. Yeah, they pulled no punches. Oh my in this god, one. no! This was this was a short match, but it was great between the two. Yeah, and you know what? It continues their feud, and I think it's a perfect one for Karrion to get his feet fully planted in WWE, mm-hmm. and for Drew. This will tie up some time until he goes and makes another run for the world title. Like you sure. know, it's you know it's coming. They can definitely hit the emergency break glass if they need a contender right away. Yeah, he's he, in that category, and he can go right in there. But I think for whether they're going to have him now, I think this makes perfect sense. And this is a very very good feud that still has a lot of tread on the tires. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, next up was a matchup for the WWE Raw Women's Title uh, between Bianca Belair defending her belt against Bailey in a ladder match, and you had B- uh, Bianca emerge victorious, defeating Bailey in 16 minutes and 40 seconds. Very solid match. A great match. Very solid. I was happy that Bianca retained. Yes, I was getting a little worried that Bailey might walk away with this, but I think though, with Bailey chasing, that is a better story mm-hmm. than Bailey just dominating right now, and then her faction have all the gold in the women's division. Sure. I think that it makes more sense to have Bailey get slowly driven nuts mm-hmm. and go chase her like she can't handle that like she's the only one not with the gold and yeah. it causes friction between yeah. the, the other faction members. So this definitely played into a lot of cool scenarios for the match. You know, some nothing I would say super crazy for bumps, but they still were definitely having some wild spots. The only one that sticks out to me and that I can remember is when uh, Bianca was laying in the mat and then uh, Bailey got the ladder and then she put the one end of the ladder, like the bottom rung over Bianca's Mm, chin. Yep. And Bailey starts climbing the ladder and I'm like, oh, is Bianca about to do what I think she's about to do? And sure enough, she did. She lifted it up and tossed Bailey backwards the other way. Now, this was a great match. And I agree with you. I'm glad they kept the belt on Bianca because while, yes, I, you know, WWE has one of the deepest women's divisions in all of pro wrestling. I think it is does need to be built up a little bit. And I don't mean like, oh, they don't have enough people to main event. No, they got enough people to main event a women's match. But I think storyline wise, you just have some folks that aren't there yet. Yeah, you know, and and that's why I'm glad that Bianca retained because you can keep this Bailey feud running hell until maybe WrestleMania if you really wanted oh, to, absolutely, and you absolutely. could work it. And in that time, you can build you can build up you know the Candice LeRae's or the Nikki Ash or whatever she comes back as you know Dewdrop if you want to bring her back in in the into the fold because she's been off TV for a few weeks. Whoever you decide to bring up on the main roster because I can't help but notice they decided to feature Nikita Lyons, you know from NXT during the broadcast. Which if you remember NXT during the Triple H days, that spot was usually reserved for the hey look who we just signed moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I couldn't help but notice that for whatever reason she was in Philadelphia ringside, and I'm like, is she getting the call up i don't know well, you know so i think it's good to keep this feud going and then build up more folks that you can go okay yeah they're a main event threat i'm glad you brought up the spot about nikita Lyons. i think it was brilliant mm-hmm. and i will explain why because we saw this later with braun breaker yep what they're trying to do with nxt in the wwe universe is they're trying to reintroduce fans to tuned out sure to tune back in sure so, thus, if you see a Nikita Lyons, if you see a Braun Breaker, you're going to go, oh, what do they do? And then when you start mentioning them and show little commercials on Raw right. or SmackDown, you can see them in the ring. Okay, I'm now interested. Maybe I'll go check them out. Maybe I'll go look on YouTube. Maybe I'll go do a Google search. You can do a lot of things like that and really start building up these stars that are not there yet. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't think they should bring up Nikita just yet. No. I think she is going to be up after Mania. Maybe. I wouldn't doubt her. Maybe Zoe Stark. I could see that happening. Sure. But I would say 
it's going to take some time. But if you really want to build that show up, this is where you start doing that. Mm -hmm. And this is where you start just planting those little seeds that, hey, they could appear on Raw. They Mm -hmm. could appear on SmackDown, depending. Because, I mean, we remember that uh, Stark and Lions were supposed to be in the women's tag team tournament. Right. Then, but there was reasons. <laughs> reasons. Yeah, we'll just we'll do it officially. One, two, three. Reasons. reasons. Google it on your own time. Yep. That they did not make it up there. But yep. it, it's it's a situation like that that you have to say, okay, if I'm Triple H, I want people to start watching NXT. Mm-hmm. Like Raw is on fire right now. SmackDown's on fire. NXT has to reignite the fire. Right. And I think that they're doing a smart way about this by showing people in the crowd because somebody's going to look. If you don't know who they are you're more inclined to go look. Well, the thing, too, is, you know, the brand split, I think, is effectively over. You know, well, let me say this. The hard brand split. The hard brand one. Is officially over. While there is still wrestlers on specific shows that don't appear on the other show, you still have wrestlers appearing on, you know, SmackDown or that are on Raw or on SmackDown that are appearing on Raw. And unlike years past, they're not coming up with these weird gimmicky ways or reasons why they're appearing. They're like, oh, there's the wild card rule where each week we can have three superstars. And that includes tag teams appear from one show onto the other. Mm-hmm. They're not doing that. They're just like, hey, they're here. Reasons. You know, and I'm and I'm happy with that. So that could also include NXT that like, hey, they're going to appear on, on Raw for, you know, an extended period of time or whatever it is. And I'm all right with that. Well, I think that they realize that NXT needs some work. Now, it's nobody's real fault per se. Mm-hmm. They're inheriting a lot with Vince's regime leaving the product. Yeah. Going away from the 2.0 into, I guess we can officially say it's 3.0 right now. 3.0, 1.5, whatever you want to call it. However you want to define it, it's going to be more like the black and gold brand that we all as wrestling fans, no one loves. Mm-hmm. It's going to take time getting there, but yeah. reestablishing that brand to an audience that tuned out mm-hmm. is going to take time. Yeah. This is baby steps, but I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, next up in your co-main event of the evening was a matchup between Finn Balor of the Judgment Day taking on Edge in an I Quit match. Uh, and you had Finn Balor emerge victorious with some help, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, defeating Edge in 29 minutes and 55 seconds. Brilliant storytelling. This was this was a masterclass in storytelling and probably my favorite match of the night. Oh, mine too. I thought with Edge, we know he has a limited amount of time left. Uh, he's even said so uh, off camera, you know, in, in when the TV cameras are off. Mm-hmm. And we all we obviously we know he, he is, I don't want to say on borrowed time in the sense of his in, his neck is getting worse or anything like that. I don't want that just, coming off like just that. age. Just age. He's just he's up there. He's his body has gone through a tremendous amount of, uh, dare we say, bumps. Thank you. That would be the nice way to put it. He's had a track record where the style that he wrestled is catching up to him. Well, and I think it's benefiting him. You know, and this sounds shitty, but like I th- I don't intend it that way. I think it's benefiting him that he had so much time off. Mm-hmm. Because were he to have continued wrestling the way he did without the, what was it, nine years he was off, he would be retired by now. Mm -hmm. You know, but because he took those nine years off and his neck was able to heal to a point. Now, is it 100%? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Exactly. Same. You know, know, to quote Bill Belichick, I'm not a physician. You know, but it's clearly good enough to a point where the doctors, and I probably guess several doctors, are okay with him going. Mm -hmm. But that said, okay, your neck is good. He's still got the the age and the tread on the tires yeah. to, to deal with, you know. So, like you said, he's on borrowed time, and, and he knows that. He's said so off air. You know, I was in one of the Canada shows where he's like, yeah, we only come here, you know, maybe once or twice a year, and, you know, next year might be the last time I'm here for Raw. Yeah, so, I mean, he understands the temp in the room, and he's definitely playing it up, and he's making the most of his time on screen. Mm-hmm. He's putting over people. 
Finn needed this win. Yes, he did. Big time. Mm-hmm. We often forget that he was a former Universal Champion. For all of 24 hours. Exactly. Which is egregious, but hey, it is what it is. It is what it is, but setting up the Judgment Day to have a big win, this is something yeah. that they can definitely capitalize on. Yeah. How they wrote it out with Beth Phoenix coming in. and The, then... the storytelling this out on this was just masterful, just because to some people, and even to me to a little extent, this feels a little long and a little like long in the tooth, but they're doing it in such a way that like, as soon as I start to feel bored by this and like, all right, can we just move on from something? They they add a little flavor. They add a little spice to this and go and get me right back in. Just because I heard this, I'm like, all right, this should be good. You know, good match. But I was not expecting this to be my match of the night. You know, but then Rey Mysterio came in and Dominic and, and Rhea interfered with that. Then you had Beth emerging and then the whole, the whole S, uh, angle with Beth. And I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. And I tell you right now. Rhea Ripley is the MVP of this feud uh-huh. by far and away. Uh-huh. I, she is stealing storyline time, and I cannot wait until the eventual match between her and Beth Phoenix. That will happen. Oh, that, yeah. That could be Mania. That could be. Or Royal or, Rumble. Or I was going to say probably, given the events of what happened uh, Saturday, you know, so as, uh, what was it, Beth came out to save Edge, shenanigans ensued, and then at the end, uh, in an effort, because Edge would not quit. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, I don't quit, I don't quit, I don't quit. In an effort to get Edge to quit, they uh, Rhea hit Beth with brass knuckles, knocked her the you-know-what out. Mm-hmm. So uh, Beth is laying there, so Rhea goes out, grabs a chair from the timekeeper's area, throws it in the ring, puts Beth's uh, head on top of the t- chair, all the while, uh, what is it, Edge is getting held by, I think it was Finn and Priest, Damian Priest. You know, so the, he's or Dominic, getting, I think. Oh, yeah, you're right. Dominic, was, Dominic and, and uh, Finn were holding him. Uh, so then, you know, they go to put another chair, they grab, they grab another chair and they're going to give Beth the concerto and they're like, Hey, listen, fucking quit or else we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, no, no. He, and so he finally quits and they're like, ha ha ha. We made him quit. We made him quit. And then they fucking went and did it anyway. Yeah. Rhea's like, I'm doing it anyway. So, and so I think that was the setup whenever they decide to do it, probably rumble or mania, but yeah, we're going to get that matchup and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a big time match too. And I cannot wait to see that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lastly, and certainly not leastly, in the main event was Matt Riddle taking on Seth Rollins in a fight pit with special referee, special guest referee Daniel Cormier. Which, hey, shout out Ariel Holani for the little uh, promo intro work for this match before it was uh, started. They really gave this match a big fight feel. Yes, they did. I felt it delivered. I also feel it was a little underwhelming, too. It, it, it was a little underwhelming for me. It, it delivered in that it was fucking awesome, and it was unlike anything I've ever seen, just because I know I, we said last week that it's only ever been done one time. I didn't see that one time. It slipped by me. I was busy, whatever it was. you know. So I had not seen this matchup type before, so it delivered in that it was unique and it was different, mm-hmm. and, and I liked it. To me, it felt like it just ended a little quickly. Yes. Like, like, yes. It just happened, and then it ended, and I was even watching with my girlfriend, and I'm like, oh, it's over. Yeah. It would just seem like they wrapped up things pretty quick, uh, and I know they were pressed for time, and that might have been a case sure, why. it could be. It might have been. I mean, that does happen. But I thought Riddle looked great. I think the only thing, though, is when he did the uh, senton off the top of the— Oh, the floating bro. Yeah. Uh, he completely missed Seth, and he came yeah. straight down on his tailbone. Yeah, he did. And that looked bad. Yeah, I well, I thought he—I didn't catch that the first time. The first replay through, I thought he'd hit his head on Seth's hip. Because mm-hmm. he was yelling out loud, and I'm like, he hit something. Like, yeah. this isn't him selling the quote-unquote injury. I'm like, he legit hit something. I'm like, what the hell did he hit? I'm like, oh, it looks like maybe the back of his head hit Seth's freaking hip. Yeah, it, it was a wild bump that he took just because it didn't look right, even though— Oh, yeah. You could you could tell from the instant he started yelling, you could tell, that like, okay, this isn't an I'm selling the quote-unquote injury mm-hmm. or the bump. 
But it was cool seeing Cormier in there. I thought yeah. they were going to do more with him, to be honest with you. So did I, yeah. So that's why I say it kind of felt a little underwhelming, but it was still a great match. Like, I don't want to take anything away from that. Yeah. But I thought they really delivered on the big fight feel. I just wish they did a little more, but I think it was a time constraint that they Could were up be. against. So either way, you had Riddle get the big win. Mm-hmm. Rollins had something else going on Monday night, which made up for it. Yes, he did. But then the big news that everybody is talking about. Well, first of all, Triple H brought back the watermark fake out. Yes, he which, did. Which at this point, I think everything that got they got rid of in NXT is back. Yes, because that was a staple of NXT television when they throw up the copyright 2022 WWE Entertainment. You know, the, mm-hmm. to give the stamp at home that the show is over. If you if you're an NXT fan, you know, don't turn it off. Something very well could happen. Yeah, you always keep it on until the stream goes to something else. All of a sudden, the lights go out in the building. Michael Cole sits there and goes, are we still on the air? What's going on? And I love how you set that up, too. I know that I was, was talking, brilliant. talking with Rich from 3FN about that as well. Well, so the thing I, I the thing I think happened is, you know, we, we know that they don't tell Pat McAfee anything. Corey Graves mm-hmm. has said the same thing, but I don't know if that's true or not. I think they were both kept in the dark for this, that this was going to happen, just because that didn't sound scripted in the, okay, this is what I'm supposed to say now. He sounded like, a wait, are we still on the air? Like, what's going on? It could have been. I think Cole might have known, but okay. I think, but I think he's so he's so much of a veteran to the announcing game that I think he just covers it up well. That could I be. think Corey did not know no. exactly. Like I think they were waiting for something else, and yeah. then it uh, didn't happen. And then you start hearing a little noise. Mm-hmm. You start seeing some familiar friends pop up in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Husky hair or uh, the peg. Yep, the pig there. It, it was all the characters from the Firefly Funhouse. Yep, it capped off with the fiend. So Sister mm-hmm. Abigail was there. Yep, yep. Ramblin' Rabbit. Yep. Huskus. Because I, I keep on saying Huskus the pig. Yeah, yeah Huskus, Huskus the, pig. the pig. So they keep you know flashing in, flashing out, flashing in, flashing out. And all the while, isn't it? What is it? He's got the whole. Yes, that's what it was. In his head. And that was him singing it. Yep, and we have not heard that in a oh, while. That was awesome. Creepy as hell, but you know what? The crowd whipped out the the phones. It was all lit they up. They knew like what the to phone. do. Yep, they knew exactly. So then they flash back to the entryway. You see this weird doorway that lights up mm-hmm. above it. It looks. It's the Firefly Funhouse. It's all cobwebbed up. Oh it's yeah. All... The mu- the music is playing in the background, but it's like the, this broken record that hasn't been played for so long that it's kind of warped a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the TV clicks on. It's all scrambled. Like yep. it, it kind of reminds me of old uh, Max Hedrum from the 1980s. Okay. So I, I, some people may not know that reference, but if you're an old uh, fan like I am, you know exactly what that was. And then you see this face appear and it looked like the black phone mm-hmm. mask uh, mm-hmm. from the recent horror movie with uh, Ethan Hawke I believe something like that yeah so you see that show up and you start hearing a lot of the same phrases that we've seen in those uh, hangman games like yep. who killed the world you yep. did but it's all in a weird voice so it's like hacked footage type of thing like somebody's hacking the feed yeah so it was seriously cool how they were setting it up the build up was brilliant yes and then all of a sudden you see the lights Go out and the doorway, mm-hmm. and then they go dark. Yep. So the screen is dark, the doorway is dark, and all of a sudden you see a little light by a lantern come out. Mm-hmm. And I have rarely heard a pop mm-hmm. from a crowd mm-hmm. like that one in Philly. And that one, and they started chanting "Holy shit!" And that was not piped in. No, because it was there. Like I remember watching live that it was there. And then it just like it like they they realized what was going on and what they were changing, like oh this is awesome they're they're loud with this mm-hmm. and they turned it up on the broadcast and that's when you heard, heard probably the most unison chant I've heard since the Daniel Bryan yes chant you mm-hmm. know from what was it like 2015 2014 whatever it was where it was like the entire audience at Raw was doing it yeah the loudest singular chant where the whole the entire crowd is just chanting holy shit holy shit 
Holy shit. Side note, thought it was funny on Monday when they're replaying this. And of course, because it's, you know, before 10 o'clock and you can't exactly say shit on American television. It was holy, holy, holy. Thought that was funny. It was bleeped out, but not that night. And all of a sudden you see a figure walk out. Mm -hmm. New mask. New mask, like I said, from the black phone with Ethan Hawke. Yep. And he just takes it off and it's Bray and the place explodes. Yep. Top three return of all time. Easily. 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 It absolutely was mind-blowing to watch at home, and he just looks at the camera and goes, I'm here, and blows the lantern out. And you hear the the old Bray Wyatt music. Yep. And then that's how the show ends. Seriously, if you're a promoter or looking to, like, return somebody or have somebody debut, watch this video. Oh, it's a classic. Well, I realize not everyone can pull this off. If you want an idea of like how a masterful reveal or return is done, this is this is it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The Cody one was fucking amazing, but this one was just top to bottom. Like I was legitimately on the edge of my seat. Well, the thing that they've done well with this one is most wrestling fans, I'm going to say 85%. Sure. Knew it was Bray. Oh, sure. Some were buying into the alleged rumors, like it was Malachi Black returning, or they were going to do something from the Lucha Underground days with Karrion Cross. And there was that little sense of possibly they could do something else because the marketing for this, and we've talked about this a couple episodes ago, has been so next level Mm -hmm. and keeping everybody guessing it. Like, where are we going here? And to finally see that fruition come out, mm-hmm. one, fans are just happy to see Bray Wyatt back. And if you don't understand the mystique about Bray, Bray is one of the most creative minds of the past, what, 40 years of pro wrestling? Oh, easily. Just the stuff he comes up with for his characters is just next-level thinking. Like, he's planted seeds for this return mm-hmm. in previous promos from years past. Like, you can find little stuff here and there. Right. Like, it's just so orchestrated the only person in in, at least in wwe that i can think of that even comes close to bray is undertaker because you gotta think you gotta think undertaker kept the same character going for 30 40 years whatever it was you know but he didn't change and add stuff to his character at the the speed and frequency that bray does Mm -hmm. and that's not even like oh the character is getting stale bray's having to change it no this is just how he is and this is just how he does the character yes you know so i would say the only person that comes close is undertaker and the thing too the difference between undertaker and bray is the undertaker is a straight up 1980s gimmick yep like we have to remember that like i understand he debuted in 90 and such but still he or 91 is sometime around that yeah yeah but he was a gimmick that really should not have progressed that far no, as he did. Shouldn't have gone as long as it did. And it comes up to Mark Calloway being that smart and working and evolving that character. Mm-hmm. Bray is cut from that same cloth. Yep. But Bray's character didn't need to do that because Bray's character is not that tied into that era. Mm-hmm. Like he's just who he is. But now he's kind of dipped in a little bit of the horror aspect with yeah. the fiend. This new incarnation, we don't know what we're going to get. No, we, we've yet to see him, you know, uh, uh, not on a screen. Right. You know, in, in real life. Yes, but this is the fun of watching him, and we do know that, obviously, with Monday Night Raw, there was a tease he's going to be on SmackDown. SmackDown yeah. It has been confirmed he will be there, and I believe it's coming from New Orleans, which just yes. fits the motif yep. perfectly. Yep. And it's something that fans have really been buzzing about and having a good time with, and they should. Like, and, and, and I'm glad they've kept the like whole vignette and, and mysterious thing because there was another qr code last night so i'm glad they kept that going because i was afraid that might stop you know eventually it's going to have to stop but i was afraid once he debuted they'd stop that because that's been a lot of fun yeah no it's definitely next level thinking for a company that has really wanted to stay a step ahead of the game and keep the fans on their toes mm-hmm. this is working 
I don't know what we're going to expect on SmackDown. I have no idea. But it's going to be definitely fun to watch. Very quickly, though, we will touch upon Raw. Sure. And a couple things happened, a couple returns. Yeah. But most notably, we had the returns of Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Yeah. Reforming the Bullet Club. I'm going to say the Bullet Club. I don't sure. like saying the OC. And setting up them versus Judgment Day God with AJ Styles. damn. Thoughts on that, Pat? That was nuts because it, the rumor came out earlier that day that you know they were rumored they were spotted with AJ filming something which everyone's like oh it's got to be WWE you know so it was rumored that they were re-signing with WWE and ever and I know on Reddit specifically everyone was trying to figure out when they were going to show up and I forget which one it is I think it's maybe uh, Anderson mm-hmm. he's currently the freaking uh, what was it the New Japan Openweight cha- Champion yep so everyone's like well he's got a matchup scheduled for his like November fifth or something like that so he's they're like oh he's probably going to drop it then so they'll they probably won't appear until after you know November fifth I'm like oh okay sure whatever and then he showed up that night and I'm like what the fuck like I ate like because AJ came out and he's ready to join Finn after all this time and he bends the knee and you know oh, I'm ready to join you and. Finn's so happy, and he's talking about family, family, you know, all this. And, oh, I need I need brothers. I need this. And I'm like, oh, he's not talking about Finn. I go, he's he, I go, he's talking about, I'm like, he's talking about the, the good brothers. And I'm like, say the word good, and then say the word brothers. Say it. He didn't say it, and he's like, oh, I wasn't talking about you. And then their music hits, and they come out, and I'm like, well, holy fuck, that was fast. Yeah, they definitely caught everybody off guard. I mean, it was a season premiere of Monday Night Raw, so... They wanted to come out with some big surprises. That was one. Uh, yeah, they uh, one surprise. The another one. No one's a surprise. They announced it, but another moment you should check out if you haven't is the opening segment from the show with DX. Mm-hmm. Holy fuck! With uh, Road Dog, uh, X Pac, uh, HBK, and then Triple H coming into Triple H trying to be the you know the politician like oh guys I can't do this I got to run the show and and the bleep the constant bleeping and then the uh, rubber chickens yeah. I'll, I'll say if you haven't seen that moment. Probably on their YouTube channel. Look it up. It's hilarious. Tying in with that, too, they did have a great closing with the Triple H un- or led tr- yeah. DX. Uh, notably, did not mention Billy Gunn once. Uh, well, no, Corey Graves did. Yeah. Uh, they said the other, they, I forget the exact verbiage, so I'm paraphrasing. And then he said, the other guy is out there talking about office supplies. I don't understand it. Yep. He was referenced, but not directly by name. Yes, and I loved how they did it. I mean, obviously, they don't need to mention him, and it's nothing against Billy Gunn. But listen, you're not there. You're in AEW. They're not going to mention you. And this was the nice thing I think they did. Maybe this is just the way Triple H is going to handle these reunions or these returns going forward. Because in years past, it's kind of like they took over the show. They were there for, like, multiple segments, and it was, like, all focused around them. They were there. They had their two segments. They really didn't take things over. They didn't really overshadow any of the new talent it was nice the other fucking bonkers thing was uh you had earl earlier before the ending was before you had bobby lashley take on seth rollins for the united states championship yeah lashley comes out he's cutting a promo on how he's one of the best in wwe and he's listing off everybody he's beat drew mcintyre roman reigns which i had to go look up i couldn't remember that matchup you know and seth rollins and the miz and all these other guys he's beaten and then Brock Lesnar music music hits, and we're like, and I'm sitting there going, Brock, and I even tweeted, Brock Lesnar, the fuck? Yeah. Did not see this coming. You know, thought he was going to stay away for probably until Survivor Series or, or, or Mania. You know, but he comes out, and then he goes, so you're, Bo-, so he goes, oh, Bobby Lashley, you know, and throws the mic at him, and then F5's Bobby Lashley, F5's Bobby Lashley. And I was like. Well, fuck. Okay, so it looks like we might be getting mid-card Brock again, which I'm all right with. I'm perfectly fine with this. They know they really wanted to work again uh, against each other again. Sure. Uh, they Their first time was really cut short, so I know that yeah. they really wanted to go again about this route. This is perfect. My guess is probably Crown Jewel. 
Uh, it could be Crown Jewel. Crown Jewel, I think, if, if, if what I remember from either Saturday night or last night is like 26 days out. Well, 25 now. Um, so my guess is probably going to be Crown Jewel, maybe. It definitely could be. Uh, we'll have to just keep our eyes out for it. But I thought just overall WWE had just a monster weekend. Yeah. And definitely leading into Monday Night Raw, big surprises. The Triple H effect is a real deal. If you're not on board yet, I don't know what else to tell you about that. Yeah. In the meantime, though, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Bray Wyatt's return? What is your thoughts about Extreme Rules? And the card that unfolded, were you happy with it? Were you not? And what about Monday Night Raw and all the surprises that came back? Definitely a lot to talk about. And if you even want more pro wrestling content, make sure to check out the latest 607TWS and on odphpodcast.com in the Parlay Points blog section. A brand new blog count anywhere will be dropping later this week. So that being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast with Matt from Hops Geeks News on the line. Hey! So... Final segment time. You know that means local minute pad. What you got? Yeah, I got to talk some of Binghamton Black Bears hockey because their season does start this coming Friday and they are opening the season at home. Uh, game time at 7 o'clock Eastern where they're playing the Elmira Mammoth. Uh, and then they're on the road on Saturday, October 15th, again, playing the Elmira Mammoth. Uh, for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. But hockey is back in the 607, folks. Yes, hockey is back, period. We'll get to that in just a second, but there's something else going on tonight. Yeah, that is uh, the baseball's postseason has started it's in full swing we are past the uh, wild card round which i gotta say hey kudos to mlb and espn for having their own wild card weekend a lot of great games that went on uh, you had the seattle mariners defeat the toronto blue jays two games to none uh, to advance to play the houston asterisks who unfortunately took game one tonight uh, against seattle mariners although hey kudos it was jordan alvarez hitting a three-run walk-off home run against the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the American League, Robbie Ray. So, hey, can't fault him on that one. Uh, you had the St. Yeah, the Philadelphia Phillies beat the St. Louis Cardinals by the final score of by the final games of two to nothing uh, to advance to play the Atlanta Braves in the NLDS. So, uh, Yadier Molina and uh, uh, Adam Wainwright and uh, what is it, Albert Pujols' final careers, final games as the St. Louis Cardinals are done and over with. Although I kind of saw this one coming based off of the first game in the national league, in the wild card, where in the ninth inning St. Louis was up uh, three to nothing, three to nothing. And then uh, Philly came back and scored six runs in the ninth. Or no, they were up two to not two to nothing. And then uh, Philly came back and scored not six runs in the ninth inning. Kind of broke them and made them humble, so to speak. Yes, you know, so definitely a bummer for them. So, and then uh, looking at the, the NLDS, you had Philly uh, be win the first game today uh, by the final score of seven to six. So they took a one game to none lead over the Atlanta Braves. Uh, then on the other side, American League, you had Cleveland win two games to none against the Tampa Bay Rays, and they had one of the wildest games I think I've ever seen in postseason history, where this game was tied at nothing to nothing going into the fifteenth inning. 
What? Yeah, so it was tied nothing nothing going into the 15th inning. There was a major league record 30 I forget what the firm number is, but the record was 37 strikeouts total between the two teams. They got more than 37 strikeouts between the two teams. Uh there were so many pitchers used in this game that I know at one point let's see the Rays used 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 pitchers uh during this game and it, there was and of course uh, Tampa Bay likes to use the opener, you know, the reliever who starts only a couple innings. You know, they were using so many pitchers that Corey Kluber, who's one of their normal starters, had to come in, you know, for an inning and two thirds, you know, during this game. But it uh, tie was eventually broken when you had a walk off home run hit by uh, Gonzalez there in the 15th inning to put uh, Cleveland into the American League division series where they are playing the New York Yankees currently as we record. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not leastly, you had the San Diego Padres taking on the New York Mets who San Diego won two games to one, which how disappointing is it for the Mets this My year? God. Like I, I know a couple of Mets fans. I haven't had the heart to rag on them just because, you know, they you can't, they had like a double digit lead, you know, blew the division lead finished in second place and now the team that finished in third place in the Philadelphia Phillies made it further than you in the playoffs and and you just look at their game they had on Sunday where it was a winner go home you know and and you got one hit you know they lost by the final score of six to nothing they only got one hit for the entire night it's just a terrible finish for the for the New York Mets definitely got a feel from them uh, but so your American League, your American League and Division or National League Division Series are as follows: the Cleveland Guardians taking on the New York Yankees, the Seattle Mariners taking on the Houston Astros, Philadelphia Phillies taking on the Atlanta Braves, and the LA Dodgers taking on the San Diego Padres. It's a lot of good matchups. Matt, you into baseball at all? You know, a little bit, man. I, I've never been a big baseball guy. I, I, you know, Red Sox, Nationals. I kind of find myself rooting for them. The Nationals for some ever since the, they came back into the league after being Montreal, but. It's always postseason, right? It's hard to beat that that atmosphere. And my best friend in this world, he is a Mariners fan. And we had been friends since, you know, 2003. And this was our first time seeing the Mariners ever win a playoff series. So I'm invested in that series. And to see them kind of lose in walk-off fashion today sucked. But, yeah, I can't rag on Mets fans too much just because I know what it's like. Heartbreaking yeah, no, losses it, in the playoffs. It's wild. And, it's just baseball. It's so random. And it's the beauty of that sport, too, for me, is the fact that you could be up 10 runs and still lose the game. It's You could be blowing a team out and somehow still lose, whereas football, it's a little harder, things like that. But I will say that the, it's hard to beat postseason baseball just because there's a lot of magic behind it. Yeah, definitely got to give some shout out to the Mariners who are in the playoffs for the first time since 2001. Uh, and in case you were curious, the number one song in America was Fallen by Alicia Keys. Shrek one was Shrek one was released in theaters. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, the star player for the Mariners right now, was nine months old. Uh, the number one movie at the box office was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, the first version of the iPod was released, and Ichiro Suzuki was a rookie. My God, it's been that goddamn long. That's that is just crazy. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. So Matt, how about you? What do you got to talk some sports here? Man, it's that beautiful time of year in October where you have the NFL firing off. You've got MLB postseason. You've got the NBA gearing up. And then, of course, you've got the NHL, which I am a wicked big hockey fan being from Boston. And tomorrow night, the Bruins kick off, or I should say drop the puck against Washington in what could be Patrice Bergeron's final season. And I got to be honest, 
I don't know a Boston Bruins team without Patrice Bergeron. And so this year is going to be a little bit more special for me. Just I've been watching that man since he got drafted in 2006. And so like the entire time I've been a hockey fan, really, it's, it's just he's been that the Bruins identity. And so it's just beautiful. I love hockey. It's one of those sports where there's just a lot of raw emotion going to a hockey game. is really hard to beat. And I'm stoked that the season is kicking off tonight. Got a couple good games. You got the Golden Knights and LA Kings, which is always a good time. The Lightning and Rangers are currently tied at zero at the end of the first period. And man, we just that time of year where sports fans were blessed. There's I, so much sports. It's amazing. I fully agree. I mean, we are all big blue shirt nation here. Big Rangers. Uh the farm system used to come through here. Um, oh yeah. Uh for a few seasons. Uh it's been a while though. Uh, but it's uh, hockey. If you go see it live, like you can't describe it. I've actually gone to Madison square garden during the Stanley cup playoffs and like the run there and just the buzz in the building. Like there's nothing like it. In fact, this year I was actually pretty ticked off at New York comic-con because it always times that the home opener is comic-con week. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. week it was not. So, uh, cause they're com- coming tonight. So they're week behind. But there's nothing like going to hockey and seeing it play out and just the emotion that goes into the game. And it's the best game to watch in person. Like, watching on TV, Absolutely. it doesn't do justice. Watching hockey live is fantastic. Like, I think it's right up there with the NFL for me. It is just something to see in person. Like, you just you can't describe just that feeling and watching and just especially the tradition with the game, too, that still holds up. I mean, it's just it's phenomenal. Uh, if I got to do an early Stanley Cup prediction, I mean, it's blue, it's blue shirts um, all day, every day. I will never go against my squad. That's the one th- time that you'll hear on this podcast, I am biased as all blazes. I do not call it right down the middle. I do not show any leniency, especially Pittsburgh Penguins fans. I know we have some listening. No, you're not going to get any love here on this podcast. I'm telling you right now. You can save that yellow marker nonsense for somebody else because it's all blue shirt nation here. Shetterkin is going to do what he has to to get us the cup. Uh, they played real well. I mean, I think that this year they have the possibility to really make a, a solid run. They, I think they really learned a lot during the playoffs last year, especially when they just ran out of gas against Tampa Bay. But I think last year nobody was beating Colorado. They were just playing too healthy at the right time. And that's and that's the one thing scary. I could see Colorado going back-to-back, but the question – going to say the same. Yeah. Like I, but, the, you know, the only thing with them is if they're healthy, they're unstoppable. It's just they have to be healthy at the right time. Last year was the first time they got the chance to do because they always had like a yeah. big injury right before playoffs that really crippled them the couple seasons before. So it's like if they can do it again, they can definitely make some noise. I you know, and especially out of the West, it's it's tough to really predict. But I will always say Colorado, I think, is one of the most even money bets you can do. And I think that they'll be contenders as like I say, as long as they play healthy. I mean, they're great on both sides of the puck. And their goaltending is top notch, but I, I will always go with my Rangers in seven. I I agree. Obviously, my homer pick would be the Bruins, but I actually think Carolina is a team to watch this year to make it to the Cup. I, and they've been a team that's slowly putting it together. And the West is a crapshoot. I mean, the NHL period is a crapshoot because you, realistically, any team, especially once you get to the playoffs, it's just one long grind. Mm-hmm. And it's such a physical sport that it really it comes. To, you hear all these players with these injuries. So I can see Edmonton. They're like almost the Jacksonville Jaguars to me where I have high hopes. For That's them. a great analogy. Continuously just pissed the bed. Like, look in the playoffs last year. They just got absolutely 
that, that that should have been a lot closer than it was in that series, and they just absolutely fell apart. So, I, I think Edmonton might be the one to put it together this year. But I have the I actually have the Hurricanes going all the way, going the distance. You know, the Hurricanes can, but the only thing that scares me about them is they seem to falter, like right in the middle of the playoffs. Like no matter like how good their team is playing, they just stop scoring out of nowhere. So yeah. I mean, that... they're a young team, but I, I think with a couple of these playoff runs under their belts, I think this year under Brindamore, they kind of they kind of start putting it together. I think. Yeah, I could I could see them making a, a, a quiet run through. It just like I say, they're just they just seem like they're the one like moment away or one player away from like really doing it. And I could definitely see them scrapping in there too. Like I say, out of the East, I know a lot of people are just talking about uh, Toronto too. I, I I'm not sold on them by at all. By any, no, I'm never sold on Toronto. Yeah, like never. I will never be sold on Toronto a day in my life. Exactly, like because every year they're supposed to be that team, and every year they choke. Sorry, they like are that team year in and year out. All you hear is Toronto this, Mitch Marner this, Matthews this, and then what happens? They can't even get out of the first round. So until they prove me wrong, which I hope never comes in my lifetime, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy into this. I'm right there with you, and I know Pat is sitting here saying, exactly saying the mm-hmm. same thing. He is all about Rangers, and he is just saying basically screw the entire West. <laughs> Not wrong. That, that is his fan. Like I say, with Patty, you could just even bet it's all Rangers and it's nobody else. Like, and that's the beauty of hockey, though. You have those great rivalries, and the West, like we say, is wide open. The East is going to be fun to watch. It's just such a great time to be a sports fan, like you touched upon too, because the NBA is about ready to kick off now too. We'll be talking about that in the upcoming weeks. But hockey kicks off tonight. Go Blue Shirt Nation! Stand the puck up. Let's go. And for my uh, final base, uh, I know you don't. You didn't, you're not a big wrestling guy, are you, Matt? Uh, I I am, man. I go in and out. So I used to be wicked big, and then mid 2010s, I kind of fell out. But I, I I keep one foot in the door. I loosely follow uh, just enough so I, I kind of know generally what's going on and things like that. I love going to shows, especially house shows, because those were the most fun. But Actually, speaking of, WWE is going to be hosting like some college campus tour, and they're actually coming to Boise State here next month, I think. So I might go check that out. But yeah, I, it's not. I don't dislike it. I don't. I just. I keep one foot in the door. Is the easiest way to say it. No, that, that's a perfect analogy for it. I know they're making the campus crawl. I think they're calling it, and they're going to be yes, stopping. That's what it is. They're going to be going to different colleges and, and doing like some recruitments and doing some th- cool things. Like under Triple H, they're doing a lot of really interesting things. And on the other side of the fence, you have AEW which is always a roll of the dice these days, but I actually have some good news for AEW. So uh, it was announced, uh, we got the press release sent to us, that John Moxley has signed a five-year extension with AEW. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so he's locked and loaded in there for quite some time. And to Isn't read... he going to be like a coach role, too, within that deal I thought I saw? Yep. Uh, according to the press release, uh, to quote them, uh, quote, AEW CEO, GM, and head of creative Tony Khan announced that AEW world champ John Moxley has signed a five-year contract extension. This ensures that one of the professional wrestling top stars will remain with AEW through 2027 while expanding his responsibilities, including mentoring and coaching talent. Moving forward, he will work exclusively with AEW and its international partners, including New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he is a two-time IWGP U.S. champion, end quote. So, yeah, that's a huge win for them. Uh, obviously, they've had a, their fair stretch of bad press and don't need to keep harping on them about that, but that's a good win for them. So I'm happy to see that there's actually some good news for them. Mm-hmm. 
So that said, it is unfortunately that time to say goodbye. But Matt, thank you again for coming on the show. You are welcome back anytime. Give our listening audience one final chance to catch you where you are, what you're doing, and what you're all about. For sure, man. Like this was this was a ton of fun. I would love to come back, chat some sports, chat some comic, anything, anything at all. And for us, yeah, the Hops Geek News. We are a podcast, myself and my co-host Lauren, where we talk about comic books, movies, TV shows. We feature beer of the week. And we recently kind of separated from our other show that we do, which is called Hops News, which is strictly beer industry news. But uh, to find us, to search Hops Geek News on any podcasting platform, on any social media site, we are there. We are, you know, I've run the Twitter, Lauren runs the Instagram. We both do the TikTok kind of thing. And uh, subscribe to our YouTube. That's a big one right now. We just started up our YouTube page. So a lot of big things coming, a lot of changes. But hopefully, if anybody out there is listening, check us out, give us a chance, and uh we like to do a lot of fun things. We just did a zombies episode and we're going to be going over some Halloween things this month. So check us out. And again, you guys are the best. I really appreciate it. Anytime my friend and his first hand testimonial, you definitely want to make sure you're dropping that sub, drop that five-star review for him. They do fantastic work. And I will tell you, you definitely need to make sure that their show is in your podcast rotation along with the ODPH pad. Final thoughts on this episode. Fuck the Astros. As always, I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, you know you can find it at odphpodcast.com. We'll catch you next time. Gotta beat down to the punch. Gotta beat down to the punch. Cause they can't bring me.